Hey, this is Dave Fryer. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. This is going to be a different kind of podcast. It's an experiment we're running. I wanted to run it. Mike was kind enough to go along with it. And Mike Kopmeyer's here. Mike, say hi to everyone. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for having me again, Dave. Always appreciate it, man. <laughs> so when I explained this topic to Mike, he said we were going to have to Joe Rogan it, which we're yeah. going to try not to do. So there will be no manscaping commercials or anything like that. But yeah, but long form, I think, was the, yeah. was the <laughs> yes. long form rambling and exploratory, I think, yes. was, the, was the Joe Rogan reference on this one. So, yes. So yeah. we have no specific path. We have a theme we're starting with. And the theme is um, if taking sort of a, an, an agile approach to personal development and the way that we evolve through our careers, through our lives, through the things that we're doing. And Mike is somebody that I personally find really fascinating because I've known him for, I've known you for a long time. And when we started doing these podcasts, you used to talk about the bathtub, being in the bathtub all the time. I can't, I can't believe you <laughs> led with that. So like, it's, you gotta like, you gotta explain to people. I'm like, getting there. It's like, I just do, do a lot of my thinking in the bathroom. Yeah. Visual so, image, but you know, whatever. You know, so, so. Well, that's, so that's, that was the thing, but it was, to me, it was cool because it was really, it was unusual and it was vulnerable and that was great. <laughs> and you're somebody who I've watched experiment with a lot of different things and you've evolved over the past couple years. You're a very different person now than you were. I mean, the core yeah. is still the same, but, but you live your life differently. You, you, you've grown into, you know, a much, I would say, a stronger leader of a, of a company that's doing really well. And on a personal level, I've seen a lot of growth there too. And I, as somebody who was always running experiments, I'm curious about it. So yeah. um, maybe you can set some context for the, my reference to the bathtub thing and we can start there and just work our way up to what's going on well, now. Well, I, I think it's fascinating that you see that as a, as an outside uh, indicator of my personal growth. Mike has stopped bathing. So he's evolved beyond hygiene. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's the place. Like, so what? What people have to recognize, um, you know, what? what I, what's fascinating about this? I mean, think about when you and I first met. Was it? Was it when I was at version one? Back in the day. Uh, yes, it would have been when you were at version I one. Yeah. Version one. So we're talking like two thousand eight ish. Yeah. You know, time frame. And so I'm in my I'm in my late thirties. Right. I had worked in corporate America. I'd kind of started a blog a little bit, right? And, and looking back on those times, what I was doing is I had been on kind of a multi-year path to build a bit of a personal brand, okay? So I was doing the blog and I was doing Twitter and Facebook and all these different things and, you know, establishing my point of view, writing articles for Cutter Consortium and, you know, doing things with, uh, you know, version one's blog at the time. <laughs> Was that funny? I just remembered that I one of the first conversations we have is every morning I would have these notices in Google that would say like fascinating article Mike Kottmeyer it was like yeah. ten articles in a row and I was like how can all these articles be fascinating and then you explained that it was just an automated thing that would happen when you liked the article oh interesting post that. yeah that was what it was yeah because yeah, I was sharing other people's stuff but I was probably writing two or three posts a week um, myself during that time but basically building personal brand right. And, and so, you know, so I, I hopped out of version one, um, joined Pillar for about 10 months, um, and then started leading Agile in August of um, 2010. And, and it's like, and when I, when I try to describe my journey to like, you know, kids at, at University of Florida or when I'm giving talks to, to young people or whatever, I describe myself often as an accidental entrepreneur. 
Like I didn't, I didn't set out to do leading agile to, to have a 120 person company that's performing at the level that we're performing. What I set out to do is I wanted to make, um, and I, I'm going to be hyper-specific here. I wanted to make a quarter of a million dollars a year and work half time, 50% of the time. And that so was, that was the goal. That was literally my stated goal. That's very Alistair. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that, right? Because Alistair, Alistair gave me some really good advice, right? He said, basically, you need to know three numbers. You need to know, you need to know the minimum you need to make to pay your bills or that you want to make, right? Um, you need to know the maximum that you're willing to travel and you need to know the maximum that you're willing to make. And I'm like, okay, well, understanding how much money you need to pay your bills is got it, right? Understanding how much you want to travel, got it. Why is there a maximum? And his comment was, because if you don't have a maximum, you'll continue to chase everything and it'll kill you. And um, Which is super wise. Somewhat, yes, kind of prophetic, right? Yeah, Yeah, very wise, very prophetic. Um, The other person who gave me some really interesting advice during that time when I stated my quarter of a million dollar, 50% time thing was Michelle Slager. And Michelle's like, that'll never work for you. And I went, that's uh, so Michelle. Yeah, so Michelle. She goes, she goes, because people are going to start calling you and you're never going to want to say no to anybody because if you say no to them, you don't know if they'll ever call you back. You know, and you, yeah. you, you don't know if you're walking away from the opportunity, right? And that was prophetic as well, right? So, so basically, um, you know, I went into this with no upper bound. And, and it's so, it's so if you look at the journey, right? So when, when Leading Agile first started, um, God, I mean, there's so many different places that this conversation could fork. So I'll just do the simple fork and see where it goes. Right. But, but when it first started, like the short story is I didn't know why it was working. Like, it was like, I kind of like, it's like, I kind of hung my shingle out on leadingagile.com and said, Hey, I'm an independent consultant now, you know, hire me. And next thing you know, like I didn't have any unbillable time. It just, right. it just literally happened like that. You know, I, I, I went, um, and I, I made more money, made three, four times more money than I ever made in my entire life the first year. Um, and it was a little scary because I didn't know why it was working. And then, and then it was like, and then I kind of got a little bit of a handle on why it was working. And we started hiring some people and, you know, we hired a few consultants to hire a little bit of back office to help me with accounting and things. And, you know, next thing you know, we're six people, we're 13 people, we're 17 people, we're 24 people. Then we ended up somewhere close to 30. And, and like at 30 people, that was like the first time I realized that, you know, you can't manage a company like a checkbook and it's not a small team anymore. Wait, can, can, I, can I pause yeah. before you go through this? Yeah. So I, I want to go back for a second I'm, and I'm going to try to yeah. Up as little as possible. Yeah, that's cool. You didn't know why it was working when it's just yeah. you in the beginning. Yeah. I'm curious about how you cope with that. Cause stuff like that to me is very dizzying when it's just like, you're afraid the thing's going to stop spinning and you don't know why it's spinning in the first place, but it's really cool that it is. But if you blink, it might disappear. Yeah. Well, so my answer to it, like my wife asked me at one point in time, one of the hardest periods um, of the company in my marriage was about six months in, maybe it was even six months, maybe it was like three months in or something. It was probably the period between three and six months um, because it was like, is like all of a sudden it was working. I was busy as crap, but I didn't know why it was working. And so what I was doing is I was, I was working 80 hours a week to make sure it didn't stop working. Yeah. 
And so like what my wife couldn't figure out was why are you working so hard when you don't have, you don't have any more capacity to do anything. And I'm like, I'm like, well, because I don't know when it's going to stop. And you're stealing capacity from your family and yourself. Well, yeah, you're stealing capacity from your family and your health. And it's like technical debt and your, your body and your, your, and your marriage too and, yeah. health and everything. Right. And so, and so, yeah, so that's what was, that was going on. And, and it, it, it took me a minute. Yeah, it probably took me a year or so to kind of really get a clear handle on we do this class of thing in market, right? We get out and we speak and we write and we do the website, we do social and we do all these things, right? We're talking about this class of problem and the phone rings, you know? And, and so when I kind of figured it out, the other thing was, is like, as you start adding people, well, we always did everything with full-time employees, right? So we, we, do, we, make, we make strategic use of contractors, but for the most part, we're, we're a company of full-time employees. And, and so it's like, as you hire more people, you have to keep making sure that you have enough working capital, lines of credit, cash, whatever, um, business marketing capacity to make sure that the engine continues to sustain itself. And so it's so as you grow, you have to build infrastructure up underneath you. And then I got to the point after a couple of years where I just kind of trusted that the, that the system we built worked and I was able to relax about it a little bit. So when was that? What year would that have been? Oh, gosh, it, it's probably come. You know, I, I probably got pretty comfortable with it about a year and a half, two years in that I thought we actually had a sustainable thing. Like I can remember even telling my wife during that time, like I felt like that, that it was literally like just the beginning. Like it felt okay. like we kind of arrived because we did this startup and we took this chance and we were paying our bills and, and life was good. But um, I had this sense that it was just kind of the beginning and, you know, we're 10 X what we were well, probably 20 X what we were at that point in terms of revenue. And so, Are you still working eighty hours a week at this point? Have you changed well, that at all? Or? Well, so, well, well, but that's been a but that's been a progression, right? Um, so no, there's probably after the first couple of years, I probably got to the point where I could have more normal weeks, right? Because what was causing me to work eighty hours in the first one is because you think about it, as a solo entrepreneur, you're responsible for all the marketing. You're doing accounts payable. You're doing accounts receivable. You're doing your own expense reports. You know, you're I was delivering all the work. And then after we started having a team, like where I had other consultants and I started having like a finance team and started having like the little early stages of a marketing team, things like that, right? Then I had people to offload that stuff into. And okay. that's when it, you know, so again, right, as an entrepreneur, right, as a startup entrepreneur, as a founder, it's like, it's, it's like there isn't really a clear line of demarcation between your personal life and your business life. But, but so it's like, I can't say that like, I didn't stop thinking about it 80, 90 hours, 180 hours okay. a week or whatever, but, but it got to a point where I felt pretty comfortable taking a week off or shutting down at five and doing something, right? Now, did you have that period where you were kind of freaking out about like, how are we going to make payroll? How am I going to feed my family? Like, did that happen? That was something that happened well, to me when well, I had so, a business. So, well, so yes and no, right? So there was never... Um, we never, so one of my, the coolest things, and, and like we're way beyond this at this point, but it's like, we've never, we never miss payroll it okay. in the early days. Um, always paid people and always paid people on time. I personally deferred my payroll for about two weeks one time 
only because I just want, I didn't need to have the cash in my bank account. And, and I just wanted there to be a little bit more buffer. Okay. There was a period of time where, where it was, it was touch and go. Like we would make $120,000 of monthly expense, 120, yeah, 120,000 a month at the time. And like have a thousand dollars left in the bank or something like that. I mean, it was pretty close to the edge there in the early days. Which but, is you know, also, that's also pretty dizzying too. I mean, it's the highs and lows are really extreme when you're first starting. Well, yeah, there was one time Dennis was out on the West Coast doing something with a client and he texted me something and it was, it was something, some stress that he was dealing with. And, I'm, and I, again, I was in the middle of a meeting with a client and I'm fairly certain I blacked out for about a minute and a half, but it probably wasn't that long. Um, but yeah, right, just overwhelming. Good times. Overwhelming <laughs> amount of stress, right? Yeah. It's like, you're like, like you just can't afford to have anything go wrong ever. Yeah. And yeah, so there were some times like that, but, 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 but that wasn't, that wasn't what defined that time, right? What defined that time is it was a period of like, it's a lot of excitement, a lot of, I had to go out and buy like grown up suits and go out and visit executives and traveling across the country and and getting stuff done. And, And like I said, you know, it's like, we started doing really well financially, like really quick. Like, so we didn't have that period where, you know, we we're having to turn off the cable or my power is getting shut off. I mean, we started doing well financially yeah. really fast. Okay. It was just that, it was just that. So it's much work. Like, yeah, it's a lot of work. And, and it's like, you have to make sure that it, that it, it keeps going. So back then, did you, you, I'm assuming you did not have a lot of time for reflecting on like, how do I improve myself? How do I improve my approach to this or that? You're just trying to keep your head above water and keep the machine going. Um, well, well, so yes and no. Right. So like, I'm a big, like I'm a big Stephen Covey fan. And, and so like one of the principles in seven habits is this principle of sharpen the saw. Right. So like, I'm very aware, I've been very aware that um, taking care of yourself um, physically, spiritually, right. All that emotionally, that kind of stuff is, is part of it. Um, so I, I, so, so again, right. So where I know you're like, we're kind of where I'm at now, right. is a little bit of a different game, but, but back then, um, in my early forties, I started running, I started running a lot. So even in those early days, like I was, I was paying attention to diet and paying attention to fitness, and things like that. So, so I was running marathons and eating well. And when my you had forties, yeah, I remember Maria telling me before one of the conferences, you and she had some kind of bet about who was yeah. going to lose more weight before yeah, the conference, we were, something uh, like that. Yeah, dropping dropping weight is is just been a persistent theme in my whole life. I've a, I think I have a fairly shitty metabolism, and so and plus I I don't have great eating habits all the time, and. So it's very goal focused. I mean, you're, you're like, it's a mar- like you're running a marathon. That's a distance you're going to achieve. It's very achievement focused. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, yeah. So like now I've kind of moved into like, I'm staying fit and healthy for different reasons. Like before it was usually, it was really more appearance or parents related or goal related or something like that. Right. I set a challenge for myself, what have you. Um, you know, so now I'm, you know, decided to be healthy for different reasons, but, but I mean, to get to your answer, kind of put it in that frame. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't like not paying attention to anything, but you know, life was largely had two, had, you know, two, I had three little kids at home. Gosh, what is that? 10 years. How ago? old were they? How old would they have been at that time? They probably 
would have been 13, 11, and 7, something okay. like that. Yeah. So, I mean, they weren't like... So, that's a lot. And that's a time when they want a lot of... I mean, when you're not giving them attention, you feel like you're you're not showing oh, up right. Well, so, one of the things, one of the things that, that I was very, very clear on early on is that family has always been like a huge priority for me. And so, so what suffered during that time was like hobbies and like self time, you know, maybe the exception of when I was doing running and things like that. But like, like I didn't, like, I didn't go out and hang out with friends. I didn't go out and hang out with, um, you know, wasn't out golfing or anything like that. So like I could be gone four days in the course of a week. And then on Friday, like I'm packing camping gear and taking the kids out to do scouts or something like that, you know? And, and so it was either, I was either working or doing family stuff. And so you're one of those people, um, based on what you just said, I'm assuming you're one of those people that just like, go, go, go one activity to the next. You don't need to be like, okay, I did that. I'm going to go sit on the couch for a day and a half before I do something else. Well, so I probably need to do that more than I do, but I don't typically do that. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. Well, I, but again, right. I was making a very explicit trade-off during that. Yeah. Like I was basically saying that if I'm going to operate like this to try to run and grow this company, like the family stuff is non-negotiable. So, so therefore both have to be true. So like if the kids are doing something special at school, I would arrange my time to be home on those special nights. I would always try to be home on the night when kids had to go out for scouts. Um, I'd always try to be home like for any special occasion I could, that's the cool thing about being an entrepreneur is that on some ways you have no flexibility, but on other ways you have infinite flexibility. So the things that were important to me, I could hold time for. And so like, um, you know, taking my kids, you know, going on family vacation over the summer or, you know, it's funny, I'm talking talking about scouts all the time because that was a big part during that early time. But like taking the kids to scout camp for a week or something, right? I mean, I I could always pull that stuff off. And, you know, Timmy would need a break from, you know, me being gone during the week. And so... Yeah, I'd take the kids out day hiking or we go camping or we do something, right? Or we do something as a family. Yeah. And it wasn't so much that like I craved that level of activity. It was just that it's just that there was just there was it, it was like there was no way, in my opinion, not to operate at that pace. So I operated at that pace for a really, really long time. Probably so or something like that. I want to I want to ask you some questions about this. And you can yeah. tell me if you want me to bail on any of these questions, but to me, it's sort of, it sounds Dave, almost Dave worried. He's going to ask me something too personal. Well, I am going to ask you something personal in a second, but um, it's, it sounds to me almost like the, if you're making an arrangement, like a deal with yourself, you can do all the work as long as you show up for the family stuff. Yeah. You absolutely. can't show up for the family stuff. That's when it's like something's yeah. broke. Yeah. Then it has to change. Yeah. And, and is this the, the personal question I want to ask is, is this something that you and Kimmy like explicitly discussed like, is she like your accountability partner in this to say like, Hey, you're not doing your thing or you are doing your thing. Well, so that, so that's, that's probably complicated. Do we explicitly discuss it? Um, I, I'm sure we must've on some level. I don't, rem- it, I don't remember it being like a theme of our conversations. Okay. Um, I just think it was, I don't know. I just think the expectation was understood and the priorities were understood. What we did talk about before, like, 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 family, divorce, you know, values, principles, how we wanted to raise our kids, right? All that stuff we talked about a lot. Okay. I think by the time we got to where, you know, we're starting a company, I remember like when I first joined version one and, and travel was going to be an explicit part of my job. We talked about that a little bit. 
Okay. So, so maybe by the time I just started leading Agile, there was just there was just an operating model. It was, was kind of sorted at that point. Yeah. Okay. Now, were you? I know you're really active with your church. Is that something? Was this going on then too? Because that seems like a lot to add on top of well, it. Well, so so when I was like a permanent employee, like when I was at version one, I was traveling a couple of days a week. Before that, I was traveling professionally a couple times a month. Um. So like I, yeah, I would do like youth group stuff, and I, I played guitar in our church band, and you know had the kids in scouts, and and I think a lot of that kind of carried on. Um, yeah, it was a lot going on, man. It's just a lot going it's on. Busy, yeah. And but you know, again, I don't I don't have the exact timeline, but there was a period, probably, um, you know, maybe year two, three, something like that where like a lot of that stuff started kind of dropping by the wayside. Okay. Because like, there's just no way to get the practice during the week. And yeah. that's not necessarily how I want to spend a Sunday evening when I got to get on the road later on that night or the next morning, you know, and it's like, it's just more stuff that's taking time away from the family. And yeah. so a lot of, a lot of that stuff, um, for about five or six years really kind of went by the wayside for sure. So that's sort of the, self-care creatively fulfilling mic stuff well well maybe right well so so i don't know how far you want to jump in the timeline right when when things got like kind of interesting for me right so if you if you look at the arc so we'll go we'll go high level and then you can decide where you want to drill in okay um so if you look at if you look at like zero year zero to four or something that was like a really high period of growth. We went from like a half a million revenue to a million and a half to four and a half to like eight and a half in the first okay. four years. Um, and then around, you know, around year five and six, like we were about 65 people. And I would have told you like the theme of 2014, 2015 was like stabilization. And then like you get into 2016 and we're still trying to figure out how to stabilize. Yeah, it's like- <laughs> and you get like 2017 and you're still kind of trying to figure out how to stabilize, right? At some point yeah. you're just like, screw it. We're not going to stabilize. Well, well, so, well, no, well, so yes and no. Right. Um, so it's a little bit like that Mario Andretti quote. Like if you're driving, if you, everything feels under control, you're not driving fast enough. Wow. Um, that, that quote gives me um, comfort. Um, some days, <laughs> there was, but there was probably a period of, of the first four years where it was really all in consulting, building a company, building a team, building the base of the infrastructure, right? Trying to figure out how to, how to deal with, you know, finances and lines of credit and all kinds of different things that you need to effectively run business, different things with insurance, right? All that kind of stuff. And then probably from around 15, 14, 15 through about 17 was this trying to figure out how to stabilize. And then there was a period in 17 or 18 where things got um, a little spicy. Um, Dennis went out. That was when Dennis had his heart surgery. Um, we were, we were working on spinning up a very pivotal game changing client for us at the time, a lot of risk and uncertainty, trying to figure out how to scale our leadership team, trying to figure out how to scale our thought leadership. And so the, the 2017, 2018 period, um, was really, really difficult. Probably the end of 2017 was probably, probably the hardest time in leading agile, even though we were doing really well. 
and but it was very stressful. Hardest for you personally, okay? Yeah, because we had, we got stuck around around fifteen million for a couple years, and it wasn't that we needed to grow bigger than that. But if we were gonna grow bigger than that, we needed to change some things. And so I spent some time trying to figure out what those things were. And then, and then the corner turned in the second half of 2018. Um, 2019 was by far our best year ever. So what changed in 2018? Well, so, well, so, so basically there were some clients that we had in 2017 that were kind of towards the end of their life with us, right? Because, you know, like we're, we're an organizational change company, right? So we're not designed to be on the ground forever. Right. So there's going to be an inevitable, inevitable churn in our client portfolio. Even if we do everything perfect, we're not designed to be forever. Right. Right. Yep. And so we had some things that were coming to a, to a kind of a natural end. I, they probably could have gone longer had it not been for Dennis going out for surgery and some other things that we were dealing with, but they, they came to a nice end. Right. Um, and, and then Dennis went out for surgery and then, but we didn't really have a plan for like how we were going to scale up for some of this new work that was coming in. Okay. And it created just a lot of stress. But by about the middle of 2018, like there was, there was like a relatively clear path. Like it wasn't, it's not, it's not, nothing's ever without their problems and and their problems in this line of work, but it's, but like you could, you could like very clearly see that the company wasn't at risk. Yeah. Now is that, To me, I see there, I'm going to go back to the personal stuff in a few minutes, but I see there as as having been a period where the, the, like the original gang that was here when I first got here, um, a lot of them, not a lot of them, but a good number of people that I would have considered like the, the original cast, they moved on, which is a normal thing people are going to do. And And you brought in people that were maybe more suited for the next stage. And well, that and that practice of how do we find those people and make sure we're we're putting them through all the stuff that people go through now, that took a lot of iterating as well. Well, well, yeah, right. So the so there are more people that used to work for leading agile than currently work for leading agile. And 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 on the one hand, you go, well, gosh, you know, we I had somebody got back to me through the through the community, like, oh, you know, leading agile is a revolving door. Well, what we do is really, really difficult. And we're growing really fast, but not even we're just growing fast. What we're doing is evolving really fast. I mean, it's easy, you know, we have agile in our name and we live in the agile space and that's our community. But what we really do is business architecture, change management, organizational design, organizational psychology. Um, we, we put in, you know, agile operating models. We have this whole system of transformation and system continuous improvement and way we work and, and the, the, the brutal reality is that while a lot of those people are still like great friends and I love them, um, they, they weren't growing with us in the way that we were evolving as a company and they weren't leaning into the classes of problems that we were trying to solve. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, they, a lot of them need to go do something else. Right. And that's cool. Which, which is natural yeah. and good. And it's, yeah. um, I mean, to me, I, some of those folks, it was really hard for me to see them go, but I also yeah. see what's happened since then. And I look around now and I'm like, damn, look at these freaking people. Like this yeah. is yeah. badass. Yeah. Um, 
Well, we've, we've cracked the code, right? So, you know, you alluded to, you know, we have, um, we have all of this personality science, this talent science stuff that we do to figure out, you know, who's going to be a good fit for us. We have onboarding. Um, we have like a four month onboarding program now. We have, um, we have a, a playbook with all of our like, tons of operating models, support and guidance. It's not perfect. We're continuing to work on it. But, but I mean, there's so much infrastructure in place and just the level of talent, knowledge, domain yeah. expertise, our collective understanding of how to lead change in some of these mega organizations. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a totally different game than it was five years ago that we're playing, for sure. So yeah. can you kind of draw a parallel to how you were evolving through that time period? Like, when did you get back to being able to give a little more focus to, you know, keeping yourself together and helping yourself grow and sharpening the saw and all that. Well, okay. So this, this work gets a little personal, but, but it's cool. Right. So, so, um, I tell this story, um, like probably by the middle of probably summer, June, 2018. Um, we, we had just hired, we had hired a videographer and this is, this is a bit of an aside, but one of the best, you're talking about Ben, right? This has been at the time. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and so one of the best, I, I'm telling you, I think anybody who really wants to lose weight needs to hire a videographer <laughs> and have put you on camera a couple times a week. <laughs> but like, I'm sitting there looking at myself. Look, it's Carmen. In this one video. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Unshaven, had like rosacea on my face. Did you have like, your sunglasses on? If, uh, you know, there is, there is a fun, there is, <laughs> I, I saw that video. Like I, what was I doing with sunglasses on inside? You were cool. I But anyway, so I'm like looking at videos of myself during that time and going, Oh my gosh. Right. I look, I'm a mess. Right. It's a mess. <laughs> and, and I, you know, is obviously, you know, I was eating too much and drinking too much and just not, not exercising. And, and, you know, the, the previous couple of years had put some strain on my marriage. And so while Kimmy and I were fine, like we were, we were not in a great place. Um, and I just remember sitting on the back, my back porch, like two in the afternoon on a Saturday and had just gotten in some sort of argument with Kimmy and it just been the previous couple of years had just been really hard. I didn't feel, I didn't feel good. I didn't look good. Wasn't healthy marriage wasn't healthy. Like all of this stuff was kind of coming to pass. And, and I'm just like, something has to change, right? Just something has to change. And, and this is where it gets, it gets a little weird, right? But um, I actually got a video from a guy named Garrett White and this um, program called Wake Up Warrior. And it's this, it's this group. And if anybody Googles it, you're going to think I'm a nut, but whatever, right? Um, <laughs> Whatever. Hey, look, if it got you to stop wearing the sunglasses while you were doing talks, it well, can't be bad. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I only did that once. I, and again, I can't even imagine what was going through my head that prompted that. But it's on video, so it's inarguable, right? But um, but anyway, so like I, I I went I went down the rabbit hole with this group, and it's a it's a group basically for married entrepreneurs with kids. It's for guys, and 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 really kind of the you know the the mantra is not the right word, but the, but the, um, the rallying cry. Yeah. Well, so, so it basically talks about this thing. It's like, they call it body being balanced in business. And, 
And it's like, you have to be like, if you want to have it all, like if you want to, if you want to live a life, right. That's worth living. You, you need to be physically fit and healthy. You need to be emotionally centered and spiritually connected. You need to have a great relationship with your wife and kids, and you need to have a business that's serving you. Hold on. I got to get all these down spiritually connected. Well, just remember body being balanced in business. Well, there's more to it than that though. Well, but yeah, so your body, you have to be, you have to be healthy and you have to be physically fit. Yeah. And you need to be, so being is spiritually connected and emotionally centered. Yep. Got those. These are my words, not theirs, right? Good relationship with the wife. Good relationship with your wife and your kids. Yep. You got to invest in them. And then the business. You have to have a business that serves you, right? Is profitable and is making money and, and does the things your business is supposed to do for you. So, okay. I want to ask a question about the business one first. Yeah. The business serves you in that the business exists to provide for you as an individual who is leading um, a rich life and supporting those around you or the business is running. Well, well, so it's, it's, it's a little bit of all of that, right? So so think about it, right? Um, So, so why does anybody start a company? Right. I mean, there's it's like you want you have to you have to want to serve your market. Right. Whether you're a nonprofit or for profit or whatever. I mean, I'm absolutely passionate about the agile community and the class of problems that we solve. Right. So so it has to serve the community. It has to serve the people that work for you. Right. They have to get there has to be a fair exchange of value. They have to be compensated and have career paths and 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 it has to work for the people that work for you. But at the end of the day, it has to work for you too, right? Yeah. It needs to be profitable. It needs to take care of your retirement. It needs to, it needs to provide abundance for you and your family. Because I'm just telling you, if it doesn't, I mean, like. You're talking about a very mentally healthy entrepreneur, though. What is that? A very mentally healthy entrepreneur, as opposed to the ones that are just like, my idea is better. I will bend the world to my will. Well, well, there's an element of that as an entrepreneur all the time, right? I mean, if you look at our approach to the market, right? I mean, it would have been super easy to jump in bed with Dean and, you know, yeah. you know, all these guys and, and just go, yeah, we're a safe shop or we're this shop. Like, I, I do believe in a lot of ways we chose the hard road, right? Because it was yeah. like, we wanted to do organizational change management. We wanted to really help businesses re-architect themselves to take advantage of, of these methodologies. And so, and so... But to some degree, you have to be willing to stand in the face of opposition and believe you're right in spite of people telling you you're wrong. Okay. You know, at one point in time, I was talking to Dean Leffingwell, and I said, yeah, we're like 60 people. And his he kind of backhanded comment was, yeah, you'd be 120 if you would have jumped in bed with safe. And I just remember thinking, it's like, I don't want to be 120. Listen, old man, why don't you calm <laughs> down? <laughs> uh, I mean, I all love and respect for Dean, right? He's contributed a lot. He's been generous with me, like, like zero issue. But yeah. it's like, I kind of wanted to do things my own way, right? Yeah. And, and so being able to, to stand in the face of opposition and, and be willing to, to try to bend the world, to yeah. your point of view, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm above that. But getting back to the Covey stuff, I'm also very much like a think win-win kind of person. Okay. And so and so the market has to win, my employees have to win, our community has to win, and I want to win, right? And I don't have any problems winning as long as I'm doing it in a high integrity way and creating abundance for everybody else around me. Okay. You know, so I want to have what I want to have. I mean, if you guys have ever seen my office, I have 50 guitars in my office and, and I have zero apologies for having 50 guitars. 
because my kids are fed. My kids have everything they need. Like I'm not spending yeah. college tuition and I'm not, you know, it's like, so if I can create abundance where everybody gets what they want, right. I mean, that to me is like, that's success. Okay. So, so I, I want to ask about yeah. the other parts of this. Yeah. Of this. Now I, I, I know that this program is probably going to resonate with some people and other people are going to be like, yeah. um, so I wanted to kind of focus on the elements of it. Um, okay. You said emotionally centered. So what what does it take for you to stay emotionally centered? Like what kind of things do you have to do to keep yourself sorted out there? Yeah, so so a couple things, right? So so I started um, working with a neuropsychologist about two years ago. So I've met with her every week for the last Why? Week. What would cause somebody to do that? Well, so it's fascinating, right? So this t- takes a little bit about how I'm wired, right? Um because, because what you realize is that most, most everything in your life is impacted by your history, your childhood, who you are as a person, how you interact with other people, your ability to form relationships, right? All this kind of stuff. And so right. as part of this warrior program that I was in, like I'm going like really super deep into that. I'm literally challenging everything. And, you know, challenging, you know, looking into my relationship, your own, your whole system. Yeah. Yeah. My siblings, right. All this stuff, why I'm driven to do the things I wanted to do. And, and so what I decided to do is I wanted to talk to an expert on a regular basis and just go, okay, am I, am I thinking about this the right way? You know, I didn't, it didn't feel like I needed anybody to fix me per se, but, but I'm also like humble enough to know that I don't have all the answers in this regard. And, and what I found is that, is that it was me that was doing the work and I was using the psychologist as external, either validation or correction. Okay. Like an accountability partner almost or a sounding board. Probably like, like an accountability partner who can see through your psychological bullshit and ask you like really hard thoughtful questions. Okay. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. All right. Not just did you show up and do the work, yeah. but like, like just probe you with like really hard questions. Have you thought about it this way? Have you considered this? Now, you did know? you walk in there with like specific goals? I've walked into, I, I used to see somebody and I would, and I would like, I have to fix this problem. No, it wasn't like that for me, but, but I will, I will joke that the first question that I asked her is if I was a sociopath and she okay. goes, and she goes, um, she goes, sociopaths usually don't ask that question. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're asking the question, the answer is no. That's a good idea, right? But what, <laughs> what prompted the question is, like, if you look at, like, my emotional intelligence score, I'm very highly emotional intelligent. Um, I actually have very high empathy um, within, that, within that assessment. But I also have other assessments that say I have very low empathy. And so, so basically, how I've learned to understand myself is that I have – a wide range of emotions and feelings and, and things like that. I guess that's obvious looking back on it, but like, I am not motivated by emotional expression. You're not run not, by them. I'm not motivated. Yeah. I'm not run by it. Right. So like I can recognize, I can recognize somebody in need. I can recognize what they want. Um, I can recognize their emotions, how they feel all these things. But for the most part, I'm more driven by wanting to, um, support them by doing what's right and what's principled and what will serve them in the long run and less by giving them what they want. Um, okay. 
So maybe that's not the best of example. Well, no, no, no. Hold on. That's a really important thing, though. Okay. From what you just said, that kind of takes me to the place where I'm thinking you're somebody who has a very trusted compass about what is right and what you mentioned integrity before. Like that's yeah. not something you need to check in with other people on. You know where the line is. You know when somebody, including you, has stepped over it. And that's going to happen periodically. But yeah. you're going to hold that line yeah, for everybody. Really really strong sense of right and wrong, a really strong sense of integrity and values and purpose and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to hold that in the face of adversity. I'm not perfect at it. Right. And, you know, obviously like anybody, I have lapses, but yeah, but for the most part, I'm able to hold that line and, and operate with that level of integrity. Yeah. Okay. And, um, now what about the spiritual part? Do you mind talking about that? A little yeah. bit? Um, well, so, so when I say spiritually connected, um, like I'm not really thinking about it as, as much in the sense of God and church, although, although that's part of it, right? So we talked about the psychologist thing. The, the actual more, more salient point um, within that is um, I hired a transcendental, transcendental meditation coach and, and, and developed um, a personal practice of transcendental meditation twice a day. So I basically meditate in the morning for 30 minutes and the evening for 30 minutes. And the way that I, that's a lot that's for a lot. people that don't meditate. Like there's a quote, I think it was Russell Simmons who, you know, yeah. maybe not the best guy in the world, but said, if you don't have the time to meditate for a half an hour a day, you probably need to do it for an hour. I do it a half an hour a day. That's the hardest half hour of my day. An hour is oh. like a lot. I, I get, well, I do it in two 30 minute sections. So I wake up, it's the first thing I do in the morning. And it's usually the last thing I do before I go to bed. Although sometimes I'll move my evening meditation earlier, depending upon what's going on. Okay. Um, but, but for me, it's a little bit like the way that, the way that, um, I was taught transcendental meditation, it's mantra based single word, um, not necessarily unique to me, but it was given to me. And the idea is, is that you, 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 I, I work on focused breathing mm -hmm. and I work on like, like the mantra saying the mantra and your brain's going to wander. And as soon as you notice your brain wandering, you pull back to the mantra. And then it's like, you go deeper in the meditation. And, and I just find it really powerful. And the way that, the way that I think about it is, is it helps me find like center. Yeah. It's like, this is what calm feels like. This is what being centered feels like. And so like when I'm going to go into like a diff difficult finance meeting or a morning call that I, I think is going to be contentious, like I'll center myself on knowing where center is. Like I just know where center is and okay. I can find my way back to center much more easily than I could before. And so the TM stuff is, is a lot like exercise in the sense that you practice, you practice being centered so that you can apply being centered when you need it, when you need to be centered. Right. And, and I, I still like to, I still like to swear and drop F bombs and get animated sometimes um, under certain circumstances, but I'm never too far away from home base and I know how to pull back. Like I'm not out of control. And, and I don't want to say I was ever out of control, but there were times when I was more out of control than I am now. And, and so, and then a very close kind of correlation, correlation is probably not the right word, but like kind of a close um, related topic to the whole, um, to the whole transcendental meditation thing was um, I got into some Eckhart Tolle stuff like around the power of now. Um, and again, like, um, again, a lot of words, right. But, um, mindfulness, um, consciousness, you know, a lot of stuff out of Buddhist teachings, things like that. Yeah. Um, 
where like I can feel when like if my blood pressure is starting to go up or if I feel anxious, like I can center on like physicality. Like a lot of times, like, especially if you drink something the night before you wake up, feel a little bit hungover. Sometimes I have a tendency to be, that makes me feel anxious. And like, I can pull into, um, slow the pitch down. Like you can, you can, yeah, you can, I, I, the way I describe it, it's like you start to pay attention to how like the pillow feels on your head. You start to pay attention to your current state. You start to pay attention to what's happening right this minute, not what's going to happen in the future. Right. Which I, to me, yeah. that's like, I, and I don't have that all the time, but being able, I always think of it like in movies when they're like the, the pitcher throws the ball and the ball moves really slow yeah. and the guy can decide, make a choice about what to do. That's yeah. like a superpower. When yeah. you have that, you can see yourself like I'm going in this direction. I'm yeah. used to not do that. Well, when I, so when I, when I, so it's funny, like the, the, the first time I, I remember experiencing that is when I played with, when I did the collective soul show back in 2016 um, I had practiced that song. I probably cost the company a couple million dollars in revenue because I wasn't selling shit or delivering shit. But if you'd got up on that stage and sucked, that would have cost more. It, well, there you go, right? That's what I taught myself. <laughs> and so, but I practiced that song a couple hours a day, man. I could play that song in my sleep. The advantage of, of being able to play that song in your sleep is that when I got up on stage, I'd never rehearsed the song with the band, never, you know, never played it with them ever. And so I was basically just getting up and just jamming with them. And, but I remember being so calm and so centered that I just, I remember everything about being able to enjoy it. I enjoyed it. It was fun. I wasn't nervous. I remember seeing my wife up on the balcony. I remember seeing like friends and people from the company out in the audience. Like I was fully present in that moment. And it was because I had practiced. And so the way it's a little bit like I look like transcendental meditation, it's like, you practice being centered and you practice being calm. You practice being in control. You practice being in the moment, right? You practice being conscious. So when you need to draw on the ability to do that, when you're under stress, you can do that. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. How, I want to ask you some meditation questions. How long have you been doing it? Um, so probably for about two years. Um, okay hired the transcendental meditation coach maybe a little over a year ago. So specifically the TM practice for over probably over a year. Okay. And did you go through that? One of the things, um, cause the, I used to lead a, a Zen group in Oklahoma city, but one of the things that I've noticed with people when they come to meditation is a lot of them have this goal focused approach. The same way you talked about, you know, or maybe like running a marathon, like I'm going to meditate and then this magical door is going to open and I, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know what happens, but yeah, I don't think it works that way. But it's but eventually bit, you learn, like, yeah, that's not why you meditate. Well, it'll be like a it'll this will be probably a segue into the body and physicality stuff. But but it's it's a little bit like diet and exercise. It's like it's like you do that stuff to be healthy, and then over time you start to experience the transformative effects of it. Yeah. But like if you if you think like oh well, I went to the gym and I had a good day of eating. And, and, and like, that's supposed to fix any, like, it's just not the way it works. Right. right. And so, and so it's not like all of a sudden I meditate and I have this enlightened experience and I'm, you know, all of a sudden I'm this whole new person. The practice of meditation helps you develop a tool, like a muscle that, that you can deploy um, in a period of when it might benefit you. 
And and I think and I think probably probably more generally, probably again, probably a nice analog to the physical fitness stuff, is that I think on the whole, I feel better and I feel more centered and I feel more connected and I feel more aware. But I also know that when things are particularly stressful, I have tools at my disposal that help me that help me moderate and be the kind of leader that I want to be. Okay. That and, that, and that, yeah, that helps you show up for other people. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, and you don't, well, I'm going to ask the question anyway. Yeah, cool. Are you somebody that's given to being like, I mean, are you always up and positive? Do you ever get kind of like down and have to like kind of coach yourself out of that? Um, on the whole, like, I think my biochemistry has me wired to be pretty positive. Like I okay. tend to be upbeat. Um, I, I tend to, I can get very passionate or energetic or annoyed or angry, but like I come to center pretty quick. Okay. Um, like I don't, I don't really have, a, I don't do a whole lot of negative self-talk. I've got a very high growth mindset. Um, like I believe that a lot of stuff's within my control and that I'm powerful to change the world around me. Okay. Um, which is a whole nother thing we could talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Avery yeah. another time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but no, I don't, I don't do, I don't really do a whole lot of negative self-talk. I actually went through with my psychologist, the whole thing around guilt and shame. Like I don't carry a lot of guilt and shame either. And I mean, it's not that I haven't done things that maybe I should be ashamed of or should be guilty about or whatever, but I just don't, I don't walk around trapped in that a lot because it's just like, I have this like, it's kind of like a high is what it is kind of mentality. Okay. And it's like anything that's kind of happened. It's just like, like what, like one thing I told my kids one time, Zach, my oldest in particular, I said, look, man, I said like, I haven't been perfect father. I'm sure I've jacked some things up, but like, let, let's make no mistake. I've been very intentional about how I've raised you guys. And so I've messed something up. It wasn't for neglect or for lack of care. It's just cause I didn't know any better. Right. And so most of the things, you know, like in my past, right. It's just because I was just a dumbass at that point in time in my life. You know and what so I mean? So you're, you're open about that with, with your kids. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, right. Because I want them to know, like, I, I don't think I'm perfect, but, but it's like, I'm, but I'm thoughtful about how I've done things. Yeah. I, think yeah. That's good. I try to do the same thing too. And I don't remember ever having that awareness with my parents that. Yeah. My, my parents never acknowledge anything like that. <laughs> okay. So let's, all right, let's talk about the, so this program had a, I know there's like exercise and fasting yeah. and all that kinds of stuff, right? Well, so the, the program doesn't prescribe anything like that, right? Really in its simplest form, it's just like, it's like the, the way I think about it, it's like, it's like, if you're going to be a successful human being, a successful man, and it's always, I say man, is because it's, I, I think it's more so general. Program but, for men. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If we're going to be a successful man. Like, like, have you ever walked into like, imagine, well, it, so like you walk in the front of the room, you're going to do a scrum master training class. Yeah. Right. And you have to wear a suit and oh. your suit and your suit fits you like shit. Oh, that'd be right? my suit. Your belt feels <laughs> too tight. Yeah. Your belly's hanging over the edge of your suit. Right. You didn't get bad flashbacks right now. Yeah. You, you hung over from the night before. Like what, what kind of persona do you think you project to that room yeah you know, i mean it's it's hard yeah you're super talented at what you do and 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 i and i think i'm super talented at what i do and i think i pulled that off a lot 
walking into a boardroom and feeling uncomfortable and feeling hungover. And I managed to sell a lot of work and deliver a lot of work that way, but I'm not operating at my best like that. You know, um, you know, you're not operating at your best when your cholesterol is high, your testosterone is low, your, your general, you know, your, your hormone levels are off. Like, I mean, there's just, there's all kinds of different things in your biochemistry that, that make you perform suboptimally. And so, so it wasn't so much that they said intermittent fast or diet or whatever. The only thing that they actually were telling you to do was like the drink a green smoothie in the morning. I don't want to go into psychology behind that, but it's just like a thing. Right. But, but even that is more of a, of a signal, right? It's like you get up, you drink a green smoothie and you exercise for 15 minutes, right? You break a sweat. And that's like the training wheels, right? Because it's like, it's like basically eat healthy and, and focus on exercise. Um, so what I started to do during that time is, yeah, so I played with intermittent fasting. I did different kinds of diets. I dropped 60 pounds. I started getting my blood work done every quarter. I started going to the Mayo Clinic for executive physicals every year. Um, and what's I, the difference between an executive physical and a regular physical? Yeah, it's, it's kind of neat, right? It's, 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 it's the same, except that it's designed for busy people that have money to spend. <laughs> it's just really so there's like a big room with a lot of leather chairs and well, that there, there is right. Cognac. So you go in and there's cigars. Like a lounge, there's like a lounge. Well, no, it's, it's Mayo Clinic. There's no cigars. Right. <laughs> so, so you go in and there's like, there's like an executive lounge where you can wait between appointments. But basically the shtick is, is that you, it's about a day and a half and they, they schedule everything that you would need to be checked up for in one contiguous visit. Oh my God. And, and then you have a coordinating physician who okay. meets with you periodically and looks at the results of all the different things and then like adds extra things in. And so it's like you walk in and the guy's like, he literally has like an hour to sit and talk with you. Wow. Like, where do you ever walk into a doctor and he just talks to you for an hour about yourself? <laughs> no. Right? I'd like happen, a doctor to right? know my name when he walks in the room. Well, well nice. that's exactly it, right? So he remembers me from last year. He has my file. He has all my stuff. He talks to me about how my year's going, different things right? Um, what's going on in my life, like all this stuff, like probably spent 45 minutes or so, like what I thought my problems were, like what I wanted to look at. He can actually add extra blood work in. Um, like I ended up talking to a physical therapist. I ended up getting a hip x-ray. Next time I go down, I want to get an MRI done on my lower back, right? I mean, a bunch of different things, right? Yeah. And, and they do it all while you're there. Wow. You know, and then you leave and, and you have a bunch of results. And sometimes they'll have like follow-up consults that they'll do over the phone or stuff like that. But it's just a way for busy executives to get all of their healthcare needs done in a one-stop shop kind of way. Which which I'm assuming this costs more than a regular checkup. But at this first, point. I want to say the first year was like 7,500 bucks or something. Okay. And, and insurance covers some of it, but not all of it. But at this point, have you crossed? I'm assuming you've crossed over into the thing where I mean, a lot of people spend most of their time worrying about all the money that they spend. Other people get to a place where they start more worrying more about the time that they spend and how they spend the time and how they optimize the time because there's a limited amount of time and you have a lot of things you need to do. Well, well so so I'm going to suggest, and I and I hate to I hate to not play improv rules with you, but like that would take us down a whole another topic. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Right? Yeah, but I think the gist of your conversation is I'm not super worried about spending seventy five hundred dollars to have the piece. Time of is more important. 
then I'm perfectly healthy, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I spend about 600 bucks a quarter and, and go get my own blood work done. And I do DEXA scans and, you know, I have like I've all kinds of different things. Like, so like, I know, I know my health. I just got like a colon. I just did the Cologuard thing. Um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's like, I know the exact state of my health right now. Okay. I'm, I'm like at 19.2% body fat. Um, I'm, I'm fit. Uh, you know, I, so, so we talked about diet and doctors and blood work, but also during that time, like I hired a personal trainer. Um, so I started working out in the gym three times a week. I was doing my Peloton every morning, picked up jujitsu. Um, and yeah, and basically just, and just made a full court press of, of as far as getting healthy as fast as possible. Now, is that about, I like, do you have a specific goal with the exercise or is it like, I'm going to exercise to try to achieve and maintain optimal health? Well, so it's, it's evolved, it's evolved over time, right? So, so probably one thing that's worth noting in all this, and this is probably not a totally new topic to anybody who's listened to our stuff, but you know, Kimmy last December had a bone marrow transplant and she originally got diagnosed with leukemia in October, October, October of 2018. So this is like right after I kind of started down this path. And so when Kimmy got diagnosed with leukemia, um, I basically reduced my work hours fairly dramatically and decided that I was going to run the company differently. And so I did, did my morning calls um, every morning. And then I did one-on-ones with my leaders in the afternoon. And one of the things that I built into my schedule in 2018, 2019 was time in the morning to exercise. And so I would go to the gym, I'd go to jujitsu, I'd do my Peloton, right? So there's periods of time where I was working out two or three hours a morning for four or five, six days a week, right? That's awesome. It was a lot. Um, Well, it was a little too much, right? Um, And so, but that's kind of what I needed, right? During that time. And then um, I guess it was July of 2019. Um, That's stress management, I'm assuming as well, because all the stuff going on with Kimmy. Yes and no, right? So like, so I don't do a lot of things halfway, right? So (laughs) it was really more a factor of, I want it, I want it right now. So I'm going to do it as fast and as intensely as I possibly can do it, right? That was probably the mental model, right? Okay. But, but bear with me here. So when Kimmy, so in, I guess it was June or July of 2019, you know, Kimmy's leukemia mutated. They thought they had it under control and she ended up going through chemotherapy, which ended up resulting in the bone marrow transplant in December. And, you know, I put myself in a really, really tight frame. So I, I really almost stopped working altogether for about nine months. I was on my morning calls most days, but then I had total clear mornings, literally I shut down everything in my life, um, totally clear mornings, no distractions. And then would either spend the afternoons taking care of Kimmy or being down in the hospital or something like that. And did that for, you know, six, nine months. And so, um, and so during that time, like I went from being, I went from being like at a healthy weight and, um, taking good care of myself to being really, really fit, like really fit. And because I started working out six days a week, I started, you know, I was in jujitsu, picked up Muay Thai somewhere along the way. I'm probably getting my timeline a little messed up, but it was just, it just got kind of insane for a little bit. And then, um, and then when Kimmy came out the backside and and fortunately bone marrow transplant was totally successful and, and, you know, for all indications, she's disease free at this point. 
So now I'm trying to figure out. So now my like my focus is shifted. It's not about getting healthy because um, I'm healthier than I've ever been. What it is is about staying healthy and living um, living um, life into my 60s, 70s, 80s, being very healthy. So I've started shifting into um, different strategies for like longevity diets and different, you know, different molecules for, I got, I basically got into a little bit of biohacking about how to age well. So, okay. yeah, I turned 50 this year. So that's kind of present in mind right now. So. so, so in the same way that when we're working with clients, I mean, we, it's not like you get to a state where you've achieved agility. They're constantly trying to improve. You're constantly trying to find new ways to optimize yourself, to be there for other people, to be there for the job, to, to enjoy what's going on. So like I'm generally of the mind, right? That you're either getting better or you're backsliding, right? It's really difficult to stay exactly the same. And, and that has been my pattern, right? It's like, I'll put energy into something for a period, achieve a goal, backslide from it, put on 50 pounds, do it again, right? Classic kind of yo-yoing kind of a thing. Yeah. So, so what I'm focused on right, right this particular minute is just, just for the sake of having goals, I'm working on getting down like 10% body fat and continuing to train. I want to get my blue belt in jujitsu. Um, but, but, but I am adjusting to a world where maintaining physical fitness without like a really solid goal, like what does that look like? Um, because I don't want to, like, I, I, I have zero desire to bodybuild. I have zero desire to enter competitions. I don't want to compete in jujitsu. Like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to run marathons anymore. I just want to be fit. You know, I want to be functionally fit and healthy and, and learning how to do that for its own sake at this point. Um, really and kind of tying it to the being thing. I've really been thinking about it through this lens a little bit is, you know, when you're, when you're not um, dieting to lose weight and your, your dieting is a longevity strategy. You know, if you're intermittent fasting, different, different restricted calorie protocols, different things that I'm experimenting with, um, it gives it a different sense of purpose. It's not vanity. It's not health. It's longevity, right? It's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting, different angle. And so I've shifted a lot of my exercise more towards that as well. It's like, what is going to support my long-term lifestyle goals? Because again, right, nobody needs to see, you know, nobody needs to be a 60-year-old guy walking around looking like they're a 22-year-old bodybuilder. <laughs> you don't right? want to be that guy. You know, a little ridiculous. The over-tanned guy right? with the mustache? You yeah. Know, you don't want to be and that. So don't get me wrong, right? I mean, all <laughs> respect to, the, to guys that choose to do that, but it's like, that's, that, that's not what I want, right? I, I don't, that's, that's, the gym is not my life, right? Right. It's a mean, it's a means to an end. It's like, I want to be strong. I want to be functionally fit. I want to be healthy, right? Because I want to be able to, I want to be able to travel and I want to be able to go places. I want to be able to walk into a room full of executives and feel good in my clothes. I want to be healthy. Um, I want to know that there's nothing looming in my health profile that I'm not aware of. Okay. Uh, I want to be able to be in front of things, right? I don't want to, I don't want to, like, I, I mean, again, right. If, if I got in an accident and something happened to me, like that's life, right. Um, you know, shit happens, right. There could be something genetic that cuts things short, but it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to be unhealthy out of neglect. So you know? it, yeah. Has, has the COVID stuff impacted any of this? Um, 
Like in what regard? Like, what do you think? I, I mean, you're, you're, I'm listening to you talk and, and you're talking a lot about health and a lot about longevity and yeah. a lot about um, stuff like, you know, jujitsu. That's not something you just do by yourself in your house. You're going to go to a place where there's other people. Yeah. Doing. Well, so, okay. So, so it's interesting with that, right? So you can eat healthy any place. Um, I built a, I built a gym in my basement. So that actually helped during COVID because we all quarantined here. And so my kids all decided to quarantine at our house because this is where they had a gym because we couldn't, they couldn't go to their regular gyms. Right. So, so I have a gym in my basement. So that wasn't hard. I have the Peloton equipment for cardio. Um, there was a period of time where the gym was shut down pretty hard, the jujitsu gym. And then, um, I was actually doing, this is kind of funny. I have, I have mats and a jujitsu dummy and I was actually working with my coaches via zoom with a wow. jujitsu for a couple months. And then they very cautiously started reopening the gym for certain kinds of training. And so, um, so I've been able to do some jujitsu training. Um, yeah. So we're in Georgia, right? I mean, so it's like, you know, I mean, people, people tend to be a little bit uh, more laid back about it here Yeah, for better or for worse. So, yeah, so there's been some degree of, um, you know, lots of protocols, you know, fever gets checked. Um, lots of cleanliness protocols, lots of contact tracing, things like that. Um, our gym basically did go through a 10 day shutdown because there was a couple people in the gym that got it. Um, and so it's been a little touch and go, but I've been able to continue with jujitsu and Muay Thai. So, so you're able to maintain like a routine. I mean, I'm assuming that your routine yeah. hasn't evolved since the bathtub days until now. Obviously it has, but. Um, I still take baths, man. I don't know why you keep focusing on <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, it's a nice callback. Yeah. Um, okay. So I guess for, like, has your routine of the things that you need to do today to keep your shit together, basically, has that changed significantly under the pandemic? No, the pandemic. So, so what was cool about the pandemic is one thing that's neat about the way that leading agile consults is that we are, we are not like a, and, and again, I, I don't mean any disrespect by this, but we are not like a touchy feely back of the room kind of consultancy. You know, we're very much about organizational architecture, business architecture, organizational design, governance metrics, right? So the way I would describe us is we're trying to create, systematically create the conditions and organizations where they can, they can take advantage of agile methodologies. So basically like any, like all of these questions you ask me all the time that people ask you in your scrum training, right? Well, how do I do agile when this condition doesn't exist? And how do I do agile when that condition doesn't exist? <laughs> like, like we're like our, what our company is designed to make sure that you don't have to ask those questions, right? Yeah. That's what, and so it's very structured, it's very measurable. And so, so what we've done is translated, um, what our consulting has done is translated very well to doing it remotely because it's okay. very, very data-driven, very structured. And so, and so like we, we largely didn't skip a beat as a company. Like what COVID did for me and my consultants is we're not traveling right now. Yeah. For the part. And so, so that's actually been a nice change of pace. Okay. And so what I did structurally during Kimmy's time with leukemia that I haven't changed is right. So I generally get up at five in the morning. Oh my God. A routine that I get through. <laughs> I'm on, I'm on morning calls at seven until eight 30. And then I have from about eight 30 until 1130 to do jujitsu and lift weights. Wow. And then around 1130, like I'll usually, um, like two or three days a week, I have one-on-one lunch um, meetings with people. So I'll go do lunch. And then 
Um, and then I usually have phone calls or doing recordings like this or whatever, studio time, what have you, till about five or six. And then um, I have evenings um, with Kimmy or if any of the kids are around or something like that. Wow. And so, so I have a pretty full day. But and you go to bed. I, I you go to bed very early as well, right? I go to bed about nine, nine thirty, okay. ten at the latest. For me, like that, that stuff's always fascinating to me. Like people's daily routine and schedule. Like what, what if we each get to optimize ourselves? Oh, I mean, make you, no mistake. You make get up two hours after I go to bed. <laughs> make no mistake. There's no universe where I like waking up at five in the morning. Like I would much rather sleep. I think my natural rhythm would be to wake up at nine. Okay. And I'll just hang out and do nothing till noon and then start to figure out my day. But the reality of what we did, I mean, we learned this a long time ago. If I want to get everybody on the phone, we have to do it before the consulting day starts. Yeah. Yeah. And so like if we wait till eight 30, I mean, sometimes it's even hard to get everybody on the call at seven. It's like, I like, you know, it seems like like two or three times a week, I got somebody texting me going, oh, I got early stuff. Start with this client, early start with that client had to be on this call. Um, it's just hard. Right. Cause it's like, we're trying to work with our client schedules to, to get things done. Right. Yeah. And so, and so seven's the time. We do. So we do seven to seven 30. We have all hands from seven 30 to eight 30. And then I can usually hold the morning hours for exercise. Wow. And so like this morning was, was kind of a funny day. Cause I got up and literally got up out of bed, meditated. And I'm just like, I'm just really tired. And I just went back to sleep, just texted. So I'm not going to be on a call this morning. <laughs> went back to bed till that eight. Right. But whatever, right? But you also, you have to listen to your body when it tells you things yeah. like that. Yeah. And so, so to me, like I will attest to the fact between getting diet, exercise, blood chemistry, totally under control, um, meditating, um, working with the psychologist. Um, you know, a lot of times I put connection, family, friends, church in that being category as well. Yeah. Right. Getting it's almost a little bit again, I'm the third third Covey reference here today, but it's like Covey talks a lot about like private victory versus public victory. And you like you have to get like your internal state right before you can be in healthy relationships with others. Mm-hmm. And and so the body and the being side is really about getting myself like really under control. Right. And and like, you know, like everything in my closet fits me well, comfortable in my clothes. Um, feel good all the time, um, not dealing with any persistent health issues, um, eat really, really clean, feel good. Um, don't drink a whole lot anymore. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just in a really, really solid place. I like that you said that right there because it, it kind of amplifies the fact that if you're going to be able to be there for other people, you yeah. have to be able to be there. Well, yeah. Right. And so one of the things I noticed about when I was, when I was gaining a lot of weight, it's like, you don't want to take your shirt off and jump in the lake with the kids. Right. You don't want to, you don't, you don't feel like you need to go to Disney world and you just feel uncomfortable walking around. Like you're just in your, I I, I don't know about other people, but I would get in my head about it all the time. And so you do have the negative voice. Okay, good. I was making me worried there. So, but so, but really, really quickly. Right. So so my negative voice doesn't go, you're a piece of shit. You're worthless. You're never going to do this. You know, that's not what my voice says. Your my voice, voice says, says run harder, run faster. Yeah, what right? my voice says is you need to get off your ass and you need to yeah. go fix this because this is not an acceptable situation. <laughs> so, damn. And, and, and so that's, that's how my voice haunts me. You're like the internal CrossFit guy. 
a little bit, right? <laughs> so like, like I, I tell you, you know, just kind of a fun aside, right? It's like I never read read conference feedback or anything like that because I mean, it's like the internal narrative about what I want to do better is yeah. is relentless. I don't even care what other people want me to do better. You know? So that, I th- I'm glad that you said that too because that's yeah. that's an important part of being driven. Okay, um, I appreciate you being so open about all this stuff. I have cool. one one final weird ish okay. question and it's not that dissimilar from yeah. some of the other questions i'm going to frame it with a thing about me so i have discovered like you had this that you know the things you have to to keep in mm-hmm. in sort of in place for to be able to function well you've got physical you've got emotional spiritual all that stuff so for me um, i have to eat well i have to exercise about every other day yeah i have to meditate every day and i started thinking about when i get up before i teach it's almost like i have to feed my body i have to feed my brain i have to feed my spirit so i try to read every morning as well um but i also have to feed my ears and like i know for me that the perfect breakfast is you know a little bit of cereal meditate read for half an hour and listen to kind of blue if i can do those things it doesn't matter what the what happens when i walk out the door i'm good nice so what is what would be your the sounds or the music that you would feed to yourself for like the perfect breakfast? So it's funny. It's funny you said that because at first I was like, yeah, I, I don't really do that. But um, but one of the things that I started to do during the holiday times is so we have Sonos all around our house, and so one of the things I really got into during the holiday times that sit and largely you and I, it sounds like you and I have a, a fairly similar um, routine in the morning. Um, I put on like, I like traditional Christmas music in the morning when the house is quiet and Christmas lights are on, little fire in the fireplace kind of a thing. And then, but what I actually realized is because Kimmy would be like, look, it's too early for Christmas music or it's too late for Christmas music or whatever. <laughs> I but like I, Kimmy. What I actually realized <laughs> I like was, what I realized that I like wasn't so much, um, Christmas music, but I like that traditional kind of like almost like 40s sound. Oh, yeah. And so I don't do this every morning, but a lot of mornings I'll put on like a like a Frank Sinatra. Yeah. um, Pandora station or something like that. And just really, really soft in the background and like listen to like those kind of like, you know, big bandy kind kind of stuff. Yeah. That's some yeah. good stuff, man. Every once in a while, you know, I'll, I'll put on like, I, I'm a big fan of Pandora, right? So I'll put on like, I'll use like Journey as a seed station or Collective Solar Oasis or something like that, right? Depends on the mood. But nine times out of 10, first thing in the morning, it's usually, it's usually something, something like that. Cool. So, so yeah. So we haven't even talked about the public stuff yet. Are we, are we still going or are you want to? We can, yeah. I mean, I, I got what I wanted. So we I can talk we have, about public have, stuff. I think we have like another hour to talk about. Well, stuff. let's go, man. Okay, cool. Let's keep going. Part two. So it. the public stuff, What I, I'm? you got to help me catch up now. Okay, cool. Well, so we talked about body being balanced in business, right? <laughs> yes. And so, and so balance is about having relation, good relationships with your wife and kids, right? right? And so one of the things that, that, um, that I kind of like learned early, I think this is true. Like I could, like I could have a bad day at school as long as like I was getting along with my parents. Yeah. I was fighting with my parents. Like something has to be good someplace in your life. Right. Yeah. You gotta have like an area that's not stressful where I think things start getting really shitty for people is when like everything's jacked up on like every front. Yeah. You know? fighting with your wife, you're fighting with your kids, work sucks, right? All this different stuff, right? Yeah. And so, so again, part of this, this whole warrior world thing is, 
is investing in your family, right? And so part of part of the challenge around the 2018 timeframe was, was, you know, Kimmy and I got a little sideways, right? Yeah. And so I'm not going to go too deep into the specifics of that, but a big part of that early journey wasn't just getting physically fit and emotionally centered for no reason, right? It was really so that I could kind of go back into marriage and go, okay, like, let's get really real about like what's going on and let's figure out if we can, you know, figure out how to, to make this kind of work a little bit better. You know, one of the things, you know, so we've talked a little, we've talked around this a little bit, but we do tons of personality profiling. So we have four basic assessments that we do. One's called people DNA, one's called uh, color code. One is an emotional intelligence um, instrument. One's more like an intellectual intelligence instrument, not quite an IQ test, but it's a, it's like a thinking speed, thinking capacity test. And so, so I probably have way too much data on my family because I, I I measure I get my you my, made them take it too no I make my wife and my kids I I don't make them I ask them if they will and they usually do right so <laughs> yeah so like anybody who I'm like interested in like I'm like hey would you take this test so I can like understand who you are <laughs> and so so you know there's just certain things I've learned about about Kimmy right um just one instrument it's like my favorite instrument we have it's called color code. And, and it's very similar to the disc, although I think its presentation of style is very different. Um, and it talks about whether you're emotional or logical, controlling or non-controlling. And I'm very highly logically controlling. Um, my wife is emotionally controlling. And that doesn't mean like manipulative or ugly. It means like she really wants you to be okay, right? Okay. She'll, she'll put a ton of pressure on you to make sure so you're okay. So what color is that? That's blue in, our, in the color. Yeah. Right. Yes. You're like, you're, you, so you and your wife, like you're like 80% blue as, if I recall, right? I, yeah. I am almost, almost all blue and she's almost all red. Yeah. Your wife and you? <laughs> yeah. Me and you, me, you and Kimmy are the opposite of Karen and I. Yeah. 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 So, so Kimmy's, well, Kimmy's 50% blue, 50% white, right? So it's basically, okay. she wants everybody to be emotionally okay. And she wants no conflict. Okay. And me, I'm yellow red. So we're called non-complimentary opposites which means like, I want to be right. And I'm not really super worried about how you feel. <laughs> so, and so that creates some interesting, oh, I'll tell you another fun fact. This is something you don't know yet, but there's another instrument that we use. It's called people DNA. And, and the interesting thing about people DNA is, is the power in it doesn't come from the assessment itself. Cause it's a lot of data and it's really difficult to try to like, like figure out people's behaviors from it. Right. It can give you. It can help you diagnose different tendencies and things, but um, but what we do is we use it as a as a comparison tool. So we somebody comes in and we say, okay, who does this person profile like? And we've we've built a ton of data around different different collections of people that behave similar similarly, right? So we're getting very good at predictive analytics around how somebody's going to show up and how somebody's going to behave. Okay. Well, one of the projects that, that Rachel and actually my son, Zach, have been working on with the people DNA people is to see if we could derive growth mindset and fixed mindset from the people DNA data. Wow. Okay. It's kind of fascinating because we didn't want to introduce a, a whole new instrument here. Yeah. And so, um, and so we basically just got some early stuff back here. I'm going to actually text Rachel. I'm going to say, what is Dave Pryor's? Uh, <laughs> oh, God. I suck at all for? these tests. So, um, 
So anyway, so is, well, there's no, there's no good or bad, right? So, so the whole idea behind growth mindset versus fixed mindset is that you, it, it's really kind of a predictor of how you take feedback. And so if you're a fixed mindset, a lot of times you take feedback as like a personal attack where, because you believe, right. you believe your abilities to be somewhat fixed, yeah. right? So, so you could be, you know, Dave Pryor, awesome CST, like do you do all these things really, really well that defines you, but you believe that you are rather static in your competencies, right? And now I'm really curious to hear what my score so, so is. If I, so, if I, so if I show up and I say, Dave, you know, you really could have done this a lot better. Yeah. Like you might go, oh, I'm I suck because I suck and I'm not a good trainer and this and that. <laughs> Whereas somebody with a more of a growth mindset might go, wow, that's really awesome feedback. Thank you so much. I'm going to try to figure out how to learn from that, incorporate it into my next thing. Right. So, so it's like, do you believe? But what if you're both? Cause I'm always like, I suck. And then five minutes later, I'm like, all right, I suck. I'm going to fix well, it. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what your score is right when <laughs> okay. I get it. Right. So, but in general, and I think people can be growth and fixed in different areas of their life. And, and again, right. We're still, we're still teasing out a lot of this data and it's a pretty new metric for us. And so, but like the thing, like I'm, when we pulled the score out, so like, I'm, I'm like a 99 growth, um, mindset person, right. And our instrument, which means you always believe that there's a chance to get better. I believe, I believe that anything's possible and that you can do anything. Right. So my wife is a one. (laughs) So, so not only is she, are we like non comp we're like non complimentary opposites in our personality profiling. Right. But like growth mindset, we couldn't be further apart, right? And and so what's fascinating is that it, it really totally explains like every conflict we've ever had in the 26 years we've been married. It also goes to your whole thing about the tension. I mean, this is the punk rock marriage. Yeah. I, I'm it's not great. Sure where you're going. Well, I'm just commenting. Keep going. You keep going with the way you're done. Punk rock marriage. By the way, you're a 79 on the uh, growth, uh, growth mindset. So All right. That's good. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah. So, so yeah, so that's probably why you feel that tension, right? Cause there's probably some things where you're like, yeah, I suck, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll knuckle under and I'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Like, I just don't take it. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm pretty confident who I am. Like, okay, cool. Like I'll listen to your feedback. I'll choose if I want to do something about it. But if I choose, I want to do something about it. I have zero doubt whether I can, I can fix anything. Okay. And so it's just like, just beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? That's how my brain works. Right. It's so, it's so, so like leaning in to your marriage in a way that basically says like Kimmy is who she is. I am who I am. Like, how do you develop positive relationship, positive emotional interactions, positive connection, positive collision, positive, all this stuff when you're really, really different people, right? You're prone to conflict candidly. Right. And so, so that's been a part of it, but, but, but here's the fascinating thing, right? So this is where you get to, Right. So I show up on my morning calls on the business side, right? I'm trying to be a leader in the company. I'm trying to be in a leader in my market and I'm fat and overweight and, and don't know where home base is emotionally uncentered fighting with your spouse all the time. Right. That turns you into a fairly shitty boss. You know, it's it's hard to have all that stuff going on and show up and be awesome. Yeah, you show up with too much dissonance rattling around. Yeah. yeah. So, so a lot of what people have observed in you know this this kind of transformation is 
just getting everything behind the scenes in order. Okay. And, and what's fascinating, like when, when I start coaching people, like you start to look at people's behavior on the job and we've, we've hired executives and people that are like going through divorces or, you know, and I hate to even say this, but like people that are really overweight or people that are unhealthy or people this, and like, there's almost like a part of me now that wants to go like, you guys got to get this stuff in order. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like you guys have to get, cause it's like, it's like, you can't, like, I almost like remember back in the day and I have no firsthand experience with this, but I used to, I used to hear stories like back in the day, IBM, when they were going to hire a manager, like they would come to your house and like interview your wife. Right. Cause they wanted a sense for like how stable your marriage was and how, yeah. right. Like stuff you couldn't get away with nowadays. Right. Yeah. But, but like, I can kind of see like why people would want to do that. Yeah. You know? Because like, if you don't have, you know, your metaphorical house in order, like it's hard to show up as your best self at work. Yes. You know, I, yeah. I, I want to like, yes. And, but at the same time, because their best self might be, I don't know. I mean, I'm wondering if there's people that for whom that conflict, if they have that thing going on, that screeching in the background, that that's the spark for them. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Right. I mean, people are, people are fairly complex and they tend to defy, uh, you know, putting them in little boxes. Right. I get it. Because if everybody was healthy all the time, I don't know. We'd have no good music. Well, okay, it's funny because <laughs> I, I actually I actually think about that a lot, right? You'd have no so Jimi Hendrix, you'd have no but, Nirvana. So I'm very so I'm very famously a uh, huge collective soul fan. Ed Rowland wrote his best music when he was going through his divorce. Yeah, right. You think about like the best Fleetwood Mac albums when was when Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks were going through their breakups and stuff. Yeah, like that. yeah. So so make no mistake, right? But, but what I'm really, I'm really talking about is like, I I think it's, I think it's, but also those bands don't tend to stay together, right? When there's that much turmoil, they write some great music and then they're kind of done, you know, Collective Soul's still around, right? But they've lost some people and and had some churn and stuff, but it's like, but I, I, I think I do believe, right? I mean, there's exceptions and there's art and there's all kinds of different things, but, but I think, you know, for the kinds of things that we do, like if you want to bring your best self to work, if you want to be the best leader that you can be, you want to grow a company without like killing yourself from having a heart attack and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think you have to work on those aspects of your life as much as you have to work on the company. Yeah, I you think know? so. If you're if you're a musician or a comedian or whatever. I mean, you, you show up to do the thing, but for us, if we show up, we literally show up to be there for other people. Like our job is not to do the thing. Our job is to help other people do the thing, to be there, to enable them, to support them, to provide for them. And and we show up broken, then we can't do that. It's harder, right? It makes it harder. So like, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, for example, right? So one of the things, you know, so we, I think we just officially cracked 120 people. And we have like wow. our 20 people right now. So, so if, if we're able to find the talent that we need by going into 2020, we're going to be 140 people. Damn. And, um, and that's so, three times the size the company was when I got here, I think. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Crazy, right. And so, so the interesting thing is, is that is as we get bigger, there's less and less that I actually do myself. 
right? And and so like I've like I've really like, it's a bit of soul searching. I have a little bit of existential angst around this. It's like it's like what am I excited by? Well, I'm kind of excited by going out and selling work, but I don't really even have to sell anything anymore, right? I'm kind of excited about writing blogs and podcasts and doing podcasts and things, but because you actually record the podcast and marketing packages it up. And sometimes 10 days later, like I'm fairly disconnected from the content by the point it, it comes live, right? right? There's no real time feedback. You know, I'm not delivering stuff on the ground, right? So like my dopamine hits get like further and further between, right? The well, other you have to, do you find a different way to get them? Well, I haven't figured it out yet. Okay. I figured it out, right? So, so I'm actually working on some things right That's now. That's huge though. It's huge. No, I, I mean, like for somebody like to yeah. just take a second on that. Yeah. All the stuff that you've achieved, all the stuff that you've done, yeah. you're still going through the same kind of struggle as everybody else trying to find the right thing to do. Well, well, yeah. Right. So, so, so I'll, I'll go into a little bit of a, an interesting path with you. Right. So, so one of the most lonely and isolating things about being an entrepreneur and having some success and, and doing the things that I'm doing is that you do have all the same kinds of problems that everybody else has. You just have them at a really, really different scale. Yeah. And so, and so who do I talk to about my problems? Right. Right. Because if you, if you drove by my house and looked at my cars or looked in my bank account <laughs> or looked in it ever, right. like, like, oh, poor Mike, like, poor Mike, right? Yeah, yeah. Poor Mike. Screw him. His boat's but, broken. But it's like, <laughs> but it's like you have like the same kinds of things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like I'll go out and buy a really cool new car and I'll come home. My wife will be like, oh, do you love your new car? And I'm like, it's a car. She's like, that's ridiculous. That's the coolest car ever. You know, I'm like, yeah. eh, car, right? But I bought a lot of nice cars over the last couple of years, right? It's, it's a nice car, right? And but like, but that's where it kind of gets. It's like, oh, sold another couple million dollar deal. Oh, sold this. Oh, okay, cool. Hired another fifteen people. Oh, we're gonna have, we're gonna double the company next year. And it's just like, and it's like that's awesome. But at some point, you're kind of like, like where do you where do you get like the excitement? So does it ever feel like you're you're on one of those rides that's just going a little too fast? Well, 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 I, well, so I don't, I don't know. Right. That if I would describe it, it, it would be like, it's a little bit like, well, so, so here's the tension, right? It's, it's like, it's going back to that Mario Andretti quote. It's like, if things are, are feel out of control, they're not going, you're not going fast enough. Well, so, so at some point you're going really, really fast, but it's, but it's, it's like, it doesn't feel super out of control anymore. Oh, really? right. Okay. Now, don't get me wrong. Right. There's still cliffs to fall off of. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's things that could get really jacked up. Right. I mean, we, you know, things were not um, totally stress-free, you know, when, when the COVID shutdown started happening, we lost some revenue and some of our clients slowed down with us. And, you know, one client probably dropped their revenue. They're probably our largest client dropped their revenue by about 40% with us. But, but we're, we're sitting on cash. We managed our finances really well. We had lots of options. We didn't lay anybody off. We carried some bench for a bit. It's healthy. Right? It's just like, it's like yeah, it's like in the midst of a global pandemic, I'm kind of like, okay, everybody settle down. We're going to be fine. All right. So I want to ask you a question about this yeah. now. And it does sort of directly, it's not, 
I have seen a lot of entrepreneurs, a number of entrepreneurs, people that I've known personally have been successful with their startups. And as soon as that happens, they either find a way to burn it to the ground so they just have to start over or they start placing all these bets that you're like, what the hell? Exactly, like right? what I worked at a food brokerage that became an airline and I'm like, why? Well, well, there you go. Right. And so that's kind of a big, that's kind of a big mantra within this warrior thing. It's right. And this is what, it, and again, you just described the phenomenon. What a lot of people do it is they the get that and they, they miss the dopamine hit. They miss yeah. the urgency, right? They miss the crisis. They miss that shit that just got them up in the morning and made them work. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. They start making crazy investments. They make some mistakes. They cheat on their wife. They start yeah. game plan. They start doing all kinds of crazy shit, right? And and so, fortunately, like I got in front of that and fast, fast enough, right? So I'm in, I'm at no risk of doing anything stupid, just not, right? But the well, that's problem, kind of boring, isn't it? Well, that the problem still <laughs> kind of remains, right? So so kind of what do you do? Yeah. Right. And so, and, and then I, I go back to, you know, running metaphors a little bit. It's like, it's like the first marathon that I ran, I was a bit naive, didn't know what I had really signed up for, but I had kind of made the commitment and training for it sucked, but I did it. Wasn't yeah. fast. It was, but I finished the marathon. The second marathon was harder because I knew how bad it was going to suck. Right. The first one I was, the first one I was oblivious the second one, I wasn't oblivious. I knew what was coming, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and so, so I, so I, I sit here in this tension between, between, um, um, like wanting to do something in addition to what we're doing, but not wanting to burn to the ground, not wanting to make stupid investments, but also the flip side is not wanting to run another marathon. Yeah. You know, so, so this little, this little bit of existential angst that I'm exploring right now is a little bit about is how do you find joy creating from a place of abundance rather than from a place of scarcity? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I want to try to draw a parallel. I got to a point in class where I'd been doing it the same. I had it down. It was working yeah. great. Yeah. And I was bored out of my freaking mind. And so I threw the entire format away and started over. I mean, I had enough confidence to know I could do it, but scary. And there was a bunch of stuff that didn't work, but it was never at massive risk. Yeah. I got to focus on individual pieces and find ways to tune them up. So, yeah. Well, part of, you know, part of one of the things that I'm I'm playing with a little bit is, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's like part of the, like one of the things that I really enjoyed doing was writing and engaging with the community. Um, you know, that's what got leading agile to the forefront was helped our build our brand and our point of view and everything. But like two things started happening. It's like the first thing is that like every topic that you could possibly write about was so contextually sensitive and so part of the bigger story. Yeah that there's almost like nothing small you can write about anymore. There's almost like no 500,000 like word articles. Right. Right. Um, and then the other side is, is you, is you don't want to be cavalier with the brand either. Right. So if I'm going to put something out there, it carries a little bit of gravitas. Right. So it's like you become like almost scared of being wrong a little bit. Or pissing or, off the wrong people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not usually worried about pissing people off. Okay. But- Right. All right. So, well, yeah, you could alienate a potential client or something like that. Right. So, 
So, so you tend to want to be more thoughtful about the things that you write, but, and then the fact that everything goes through copywriting and branding and get before it gets up and then it gets turned into 20 pieces of derivative content on the backside, or you gotta be real, I gotta be more careful about what I write, but, but all of that like breaks the link between like me and the audience. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I'm playing with a little bit, and I actually set this up a couple years ago, is I created, I had them create like a sub blog off of Leading Agile called Mike.leadingagile.com. And so I spent some time over the weekend thinking through some different things that I wanted to write. And I think I'm going to try to start writing again a little bit and getting that um, bit of creative juice flowing. And, but I'm going to do it on Mike.leadingagile.com rather than the main blog and be a little bit more adventurous and a little bit more exploratory. And then the things that I think are worth um, promoting, like move that content into longer form or into more packaged things for leadingagile.com. Okay. So, so I'm hunting, right? I'm hunting because the other thing that I'm actually kind of really aware of, and, and I don't give myself a whole lot of credit or room for this, but the last year, two years have been really, really hard, right? getting the company stable, dealing with Kimmy's leukemia, dealing with this whole fitness and personal development journey and everything. And there's another part there's So there's a part of me that's like, okay, hurry up and figure out the next thing. But then there's also a part of me that's kind of like, take a breath. I just need to breathe for a minute. Yeah. Like just, you need to breathe. Right. Like don't rush into the next thing. So yeah. you, you said yeah. it's been harder. I, I mean, I know that your life has been harder but you are thriving in a way that I, I mean, more so than the entire time I've known you. Well, well, yeah. Right. Because it's like, well, so, so, so we got to be really careful. Right. It's like, it's like, it's harder in some ways. And this is, this is what, like, this is what's hard to explain to people and it's hard to connect to people on. Like it's hard and it sucks not to be able to pay your light bill. Right. It's yeah. hard and it sucks to wonder where your next paycheck's going to come from or how to feed your kids and all those kinds of things. Right. And, and I wouldn't trade my problem for people who are struggling with that, like any day of the week. Right. Like having money in the bank, having a successful company, right. Doing all that stuff is, is in, I, I mean, I hate to state the obvious. I don't mean to be cavalier, but it's way better. Right. Rather have my problem. But it is, but it's also, but it's stressful at a different level trying to figure out, okay, so we have $2.5 million of expenses every month. Yeah. Right. SGNA and cost goods sold. Right. That means, you know, we have, you know, deal flow coming in and I've got sales and I got marketing and we have delivery and all the supporting infrastructure and the software tools we're building and the, and the, um, you know, the, the playbooks that we're building and, and all the infrastructure and onboarding people and how to deal with like, like there's days where it's just like overwhelming and because it's too big to do yourself and it's very difficult to get other people aligned to execute your vision. Mm -hmm. and you're constantly dancing between how much room can you give people to do things and like on what intervals do you course correct and how do you pull it back to center? Well, there's less of a map for the problems that you're facing now than there is for, I can't, I can't put food on the table. Yes, there are. And there are things, maybe more options available to solve those problems than there are for problems that are as vaguely defined as the one you're talking about. 
Well, well, yeah, right. And so even like with the the word group and different things, it's like it's even other entrepreneurs. Like I've got a few guys in my network now that are that are that are running companies that are 10x leading agile, right? Right. But they're manufacturing companies or distribution companies or something, right? And and so like our specific class of problem is, I mean, it's really tough because we're we're not only inventing these change management methodologies. We're trying to figure out hiring profiles and onboarding people. It's like, it's like, there's nobody. It's like, if you need an accountant, you can go find a really good accountant. Like, 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 like somebody who's even like deeply knowledgeable and agile, like for one, are they going to be the right personality fit for our style of engagement? But then two, are they going to be open to learning all the things about leading agile's way of doing work and dropping in and, and so there's like so many moving parts, but yet these people have to show up and they have to be effective and billable, like right out of the gate, you know? So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, you, you nail it, right? It's a class of problem without easy answers and like no roadmap to figure out how to solve them. So where do you go yeah. for, um, I mean, other than, other than other entrepreneurs, are there sources of, I don't know. I want to say like the things that spark ideas for you, are there things you turn to that well, give you fuel to find the answers? Well, well, that's, that's part of the hunt right now. So yeah. like, and and like I think the, the hunt's a great word, by the way, yeah, it's a great dynamic, way to refer to it. Dynamic um, that, uh, that used to be in play, like, like pretty early on, Dennis and I kind of split the organization and he kind of ran consulting and I kind of ran, the, the company, the emerging organization, yeah. right? And then, so Dennis would be on the ground doing something and I would think that, well, we're not talking about that right or that doesn't fit with the model or whatever. And I get annoyed and that, that getting annoyed with Dennis would actually show <laughs> a lot of creativity, right? Oh, wow, okay. But yeah, it's, it's just kind of an interesting yin and yang there, right? And I've, I've grown to appreciate that dynamic tension um, within our relationship. Um, and so there's a little bit of that happening now, right? But but I think what I'm I'm learning how to do more than anything right now, like right now, is I'm just letting things breathe a little bit. And there there are things like so I put I put the accelerator on some things. We made some really key strategic hires. We implemented some some aspects of our vision, and um, you're going to see some exciting things from Leading Agile over the next year or two as we build out our studios practice and we harden what we're doing in training. Um, we're actually building a media company. We're building a talent agency, right? There's a lot of different things we're doing. We're working on some software projects. And, and all of those things are exposing some cracks in our system that require my leadership. And, and that's good. And that's a good place for me to be, right? And so, um, and so I'm, I'm giving it some room to breathe for a moment. I'm trying to live in the moment, trying to figure out how to enjoy the success we've had, appreciate the possibilities in the future, and to um, continue to figure out how I can contribute in a way that is um, that is meaningful to the organization, but that isn't um, soul crushing. You know, it's like you're finding that. a way to count your breath with running a company. Well, a little bit, right? And so, so part of the tension, like, so this is another part of the thing, right? So one of the things that, um, like fourth or fifth Covey reference at this point, <laughs> when I was going through all of the stuff um, back in my thirties, you know, the, the Covey stuff has you go through this personal mission statement thing. 
And one of the things I got really clear on, and I've actually kind of built the organization this way, is I got really clear on is that, that my goal personally, I called it freedom of time and place. Like I want to be able to basically do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, however I want to do it, like whatever, right? So, so that's the reason why like I've had offers to buy the company. I don't want to sell the company because it's like, I don't want to work for anybody else. Um, I don't want to uh, do work I don't want to do because we're bad at selling and this is the only thing we can sell. Yeah. Um, I don't want to work with people I don't want to work with. I only want to work with people that are really smart and really care and all that kind of thing. Um, I want to be able to have enough money to travel and be where I want to be. I want to be able to take care of my kids the way I want to do. I want to have, I want to have flexibility. I don't want to be um, trapped to a 80 hour week schedule, like all these different things. Right. So, so um, I built the whole company around this idea that I wanted freedom of time and place. So you build a company that doesn't need you. And then when it, when you do it, it's like, you're like, Oh, what did I do? <laughs> So, right. oh, yeah. yeah yeah so and so I, but 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 being able to I, there was a guy i worked with who told me at one point um he's like i'm not really sure what to do he was like maybe 42 years old he's like i've achieved everything i wanted to in my life i've actually surpassed it i don't know what to do now the guy unraveled within six months destroyed his job it's like he came completely apart well so it's funny you say that right because because that's a, somebody used the metaphor with me one time it's like like I'm, I'm at halftime, right? I hope 50s halftime, right? So, so turn 50 this year, I'm at halftime and I kind of like won the game, right? I've exceeded every expectation. I've exceeded every goal I ever set for myself. Um, so kind of like, what do you do? I'm like the, like the proverbial dog that was chasing the car and caught it. Like, what are you going to do once you catch it? Right? Yeah. And so, so, so again, right. First world problems, right. Not complaining. Um, See, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that's winning the game. I think it just ups the stakes and makes the game harder. But maybe, maybe, right? But, but here's the thing. Right? I could let Leading Agile run. I could totally ignore Leading Agile for the next five years. Just let it continue to do, continue to run down the path that I set on. But that's not your nature. Well, so, so sure, Right. But it, but that's, but herein lies the challenge. Right. So I, I can choose to do whatever I want to do at this point. So what do I choose? To okay. Do? So freedom of time and places when you actually have a time machine, then what do you do with it? Well, yeah. So like I can choose, <laughs> I can choose to lean into leading agile yeah, and to, and to develop these things and lead these programs and, and realize the vision even in more finer granularity and all that stuff. But in choosing that, I'm choosing a certain kind of lifestyle. Um, I could also choose to let the company run itself, but I'm making trade-offs when I do that as well. Yeah. Right? Does that so, mean you need a new mission statement? Well, I, maybe. Maybe. Maybe that's, maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's why we did this podcast. Maybe I need to go back <laughs> and reread all those books that I've got on my shelf. Back the- God damn it. I got to start all over again. Yeah. yeah. And- Oh yeah, let's just reevaluate the the mission statement, right? Yeah, maybe, right? But but again, right? But then I but then you come back to like, you know, everything in life to date has been you know, it's like when you're in elementary school, you're working to middle school and then you're working to high school and then you're working to get into college and then you're working to get a job and then you're trying to establish a career and then 
you know, at some point, you know, I launched and became an entrepreneur and then it's like stabilize the company and then it start producing some safety and start doing this. Right. So, so it's like for the last 50 years in some form or fashion, yeah, I've been creating out of scarcity, right. I'm trying to build something right. best. Right. And so now you sit, I sit here at 50, right. With this company and everything that we've done and the market we've created for ourselves and everything. And you go, okay, well now I don't have to do anything. Yeah. What do I want to do? That's got, and to me, that would be probably the most terrifying because well, you don't have to do it. Yeah. It's so tempting. Well, right. It's exactly it. Right. So many ways so, you could just destroy everything. <laughs> well, well, but that's, but here, but that's the, that's the tension I'm in. Right. And, and yeah. I, I also recognize, right. And we've alluded to this a couple of times, right. If you're not in this situation, it's the situation that you would die to be in. Right. I mean, like, I mean, like, I don't know. Go, like, I, well, but I mean, if you haven't experienced it, it's like, you kind of go, well, yeah, I would love to have the choice to reinvent the second half of my life with money and time and freedom and all the support infrastructure I've got and everything. But then the flip side, like you've alluded to with a couple of people you've known is like, it's super easy to jack it up. Yeah. At that point. Right. It's a lot it, of responsibility. Well, well, but yeah, but it's, it's, but, but again, right. It's like when somebody, it, it's the only way I can describe it. It's like, it's creating out of abundance versus creating out of scarcity. It's doing things because you want to, because not because you have to. Yeah. And so, so, you know, I've even toyed with things like, you know, in light of, you know, some of the stuff I'm, I'm sure other people are doing this, but I kind of tweet the idea of like creating like a think tank to come up with like um, bipartisan legislation. I've toyed with the idea of like maybe fun to go like be a state Senator or something like that. Yeah. You know, I don't think I'm going to do any of that, but um, you know, I've toyed with the idea of like nonprofits and things, but then that's where it gets into the idea of, I'd have to make a decision that I really did want to let leading agile run itself. And but I was, you're also casting about for something to do as opposed to the thing calling you to do it. You d- you started to run this company, not intentionally. You became, like you said, an accidental entrepreneur Yeah. and this is not like you say, I wonder what I should do. Should I open a store? Should I be an entrepreneur? Should I work in a factory? I'll do entrepreneur. Um, the thing, if the thing calls you to it and you feel like compelled to do it, then maybe you don't need that. It's not, I have to do it. Like I don't have a choice, but the universe is telling me this is the place that I'm supposed to be focusing my attention. Yeah. And so, so sure. Right. And so, so it's, and, and so that's happening to some degree, right? But, but there's just this awareness that, you know, it's like, if I listen to leading agile too much, like leading agile's always got stuff to do in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's always, there's always ways that I can contribute to that. And, and don't get me wrong, right? No complaints. I mean, I work with people I love. I'm the king of my little world. I'm doing well financially. You know, we have money in the bank. So I'm like, I'm not stressed out. You got 50 guitars. I got 50 guitars. I got a lot of nice cars. I got a wife I love and awesome kids and you know fit like I mean again like I'm not complaining right but but it is it's a funny place to be right it's a funny place to be to kind of look at your life and to go yeah like like what do I want to do that like drives greater meaning yeah like in a way that like gets you up and like and don't get me wrong like I have zero problem getting out of bed love what I do love the people I do it with right lots of interesting problems to solve um this is a really interesting challenge to me yeah. 
I mean, you're talking about hunting and it's almost like I'm wondering, well, what's hunting Mike? Because there's got to be something coming that's going to be like, this is the thing. Yeah. Got to be there. So I think think that, you know, this is kind of, I was actually having lunch with a guy today and there's some things that that I want to do later on. You know, five, 10 years out that are, that are totally orthogonal to leading agile. Like, so some things that my kids want to do in business and, and I'm looking forward to like working with them and supporting them. And there's some things I want to do in the music industry, not anything gigantic, but I think that would be fairly awesome to be a part of. And it's so like, I have, I have some hypotheses on, you know, what, you know, being 55 or being 60 might look like and the things that I'm involved in and and the way that I'm leading my life. And so I I think part of the tension right now is, is um, not burning anything down to your point, not screwing it up. um, Just don't blink. Yeah. Being able to kind of sit in this space and do what I do, what I love with people who I love and make sure that I'm really ready for the next phase, whenever that next phase of things emerges. Um, I had a, I had an interesting, um, so, so again, right, this isn't like a first world kind of a thing, but I, you know, I had my 50th birthday party um, a couple weeks ago. And, and you I gotta got tell them, you gotta tell them this, the class of problems is where do I put the, what was your giant present that you got? Oh yeah. So, so um if, if anybody, any of the road warriors out there, if you guys remember the Sky Mall magazine, there was a uh, there's a six foot giant resin Yeti that they used to advertise in that. And and I used to, I've been joking for like 10 years that I wanted a Yeti and a, for a giant Yeti. And and my wife's always like, you know, I, I can't buy anything for you. You know, you always buy stuff for yourself like you're impossible to buy for. I'm like, hey, I've been telling you for 10 years what I want. And, and sure enough, Kimmy and the kids got me a six foot giant resin Yeti for my 50th birthday party. And where do you put it? That's always it's the problem. It's in my backyard, man. It's in the woods in my backyard. It looks, it looks like he's peering out of the woods. Uh, if I haven't sent you a picture, Dave, I guess. No, I've seen the picture. That's what I was asking. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Makes me happy every time I look at it. But but the um, I had Ed Roland from Collect a Soul come and do a, do a show for me. Just him, like acoustic with a, like a bongo guy behind him. It was actually really cool. Played for about 45 minutes. Wow. But um, I went over and I had lunch with him afterwards a um, couple, couple weeks or so later. And I asked him, I, I was like, I was like, how do you like, like you, you hit like the peak of your career in the nineties. Yeah. What do you do and, after? Like, what do you do after that? Right. And he goes, well, you know, I, I did this, did that. I'd like, like, I, and I was basically like trying to hunt, right? Like, like, how do you, how do you stay energized to get up and write songs? How do you stay energized to continue to record and to continue to tour and to continue to do this? And he goes, and he goes, I just love it. Just love what I did. And I, and I was, and I was thinking about that. Right. And it wasn't the answer that I thought he was going to come up with. Right. But as I, as I think about it, right, I think there's a part of the journey that is just learning to love what you do. Yeah. Like, right? I mean, if they've got to play shine for the 756th time, or there's got to be a thing in that every moment, there's got to be a, a thing you can learn, a thing you can test. Yeah. So, so I think, I think part of what the universe is calling me to right now is to learn how to be content learn how to find joy in what I've built, 
learn how to find joy in the relationships. There's probably like a whole theme of like giving back and developing the people around me. That's like really present of mind right now. And the idea of preparing myself for like whatever the next thing is, but not being super hung up on what the next thing is. Yeah. You know, just being ready. And if that next thing is five, 10 years from now, um, this is a total like kind of common. I don't know if it'll stick, but like my oldest son has really gotten into like growing food and farming, sustainable farming. Okay. So like literally we might, we might like start a family farm. Wow. Okay. My, my middle son is um, working on a doctorate of physical therapy, going to get his PhD, right? He's got some really interesting ideas for like how to deal with like healthcare and like some holistic health stuff around the PT space, wow. um, software. Like, so like, I think that there could be some, I think there could be some interesting stuff on the horizon. Yeah. You know? So again, right. So like a learning how to be still, a little bit learning how to be content a little bit and that's that's tough right because as an entrepreneur and you know again as somebody who's been building stuff for a long time it's 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 very easy to sit and to get angsty about like what the next big thing is yeah but being learning how to be content in the um in the quiet you know, be content in the, the stillness the silence right yeah um one of the the guys that leads the warrior program that guy garrett white i was talking about um we were, I was out there and it's in the midst of Kimmy's leukemia. And, and he actually gave me that advice. He goes, you got, you have to be, you have to, you have to find contentment in doing nothing because what your job is to do is to support her. Yep. And, and I'm like, like, yeah, but I think, I think that advice was actually bigger than the, just the leukemia thing. Yeah. I think it was like a little bit of just like, like learn how to be still. Like I'm not really good at learning. At you don't seem like you, you've never struck me as a still person. Yeah. Well, then, you know, the other thing that like, you know, we, we were talking about COVID there for a little bit, um, you know, in some ways like COVID, like, like on, on a day-to-day basis, like, you know, COVID didn't like have, it had very little impact. It didn't really impact our company. Um, actually probably impacted it more positively than it did negatively we learned a ton through this process. Um, had my kids at home for a minute, right? It was like, like I had kind of like our little family of five thing going on. Um, and in so a lot of ways, like COVID, like the whole thing has been, um, as, as weird as it is to say, like kind of a positive. No, I'm the same, but, in the same place. I mean, I've been home with the girls for since yeah. March and it's been freaking amazing. Yeah. And I mean, especially some like, I mean, you and I have lived the same life, right? Sometimes you're on the road you know, four yeah. days a week, right? That kind of a thing. And so, and so forcing that, it's been a little bit interesting, right? But, but on some ways it's kind of restricted freedom of movement in a way. Like, I mean, we can't, we, you know, we don't have the conferences in the community that we've normally done. Yeah. You know, getting out and spending time with clients and getting out and getting FaceTime with my team and, and all those things, right? That's where it's been, that's where it's been a challenge. And so there's a, there's another part of me that kind of goes, well, maybe some of this angstiness is a result of not so much like being lost and not knowing what to do or just being content. It's a little bit of like, yeah, the world's a little more jacked up and maybe I'm not fully appreciating, you know, the impact that that's having. Right. So as the vaccine starts to emerge and, you know, things start maybe towards the middle of late next year, start getting a little bit more closer to normal, you know, maybe, you know, maybe 
you know, the, the things will start to align where the world opens up and I've got a little bit more clarity and we can figure out um, what to do with that. And, but, yeah. and I mean, it could also be that some of that, the stuff that seems weird is just, it's like a reflexive habit. Like somebody who is used to being tense all the time. So they have to find ways to be tense. Yeah. I know for me in the beginning, like being home, as much as I love being home, there were times where like, I feel like I need to go to an airport. I just like, I need to go to an airport right now. <laughs> well, you know, it's really funny. I'll tell you a funny story about that is, um, so I've probably been on eight planes in the last two months. So we've right. been doing a lot of flying, not a lot of work flying, but we went out to, um, went out to Dallas as a leadership team and we, we met out at the Gaylord out there. And then, um, but like I did a, an actual client visit, um, last week. Wow. And, and, and so I, I flew in that morning, uh, went and the team was running a workshop, uh, took team out to dinner and I was sitting in the hotel and I was talking to Kimmy. I'm like, like, I used to like this. It's like, like I have zero interest in sitting in this hotel. Well, that, okay. That's what I wonder is when it goes back, how many people are going to be like, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it was kind of funny, right. In a way, because it's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it was cool. It was cool to get out and see the team. It was cool to go out and have a nice dinner with them and to do the things. There was a little bit of a sense of normalcy and all that kind of stuff. But then there's an aspect of it. I'm like, we could be oh, home watching Netflix. Yeah, I'd much <laughs> rather sit on my couch, you know? Yeah, exactly. My wife, my car. But that's also part of you appreciating the stillness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's a journey, man. So, yeah. You know, I guess is you know as, as we get towards the end of our time here a little bit, and I, I have like a hard side. I got a few more minutes if you want to. If you got any crazy questions, I've, I'm. This is we are coming up on. I think possibly you may have beat the record for the longest interview I've ever done. Well, well I think we had decided that we were going to we were going to get this thing pretty. Close. Uh, we did. I didn't think we were going to make it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, I told you if you want to like go down this. Path, no, it's great. It's it's been a, awesome. This wasn't a fifty minute conversation. No, this is a great interview. This yeah, but. Me like so like like I have this I have this tendency I have this tendency to think like really far in advance and like what I want to be right and so like a lot of a lot of like what I'm thinking about right this minute is is it candidly is what does sixty look like you know and you get so, that fake tan and a mustache and you get hyper fit well 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 so, <laughs> so here's that's the funny thing right so like a lot of people like in their fifties to sixties that's when they start like physical decline sometimes yeah. Line, things like that. Not everybody, but a lot. Right. So, so I think there is something for, okay, let's try to find some balance. So I've already started trying to figure out how to balance the, you know, diet exercise. I'm not doing three hours a day. Um, drop Muay Thai, still doing jujitsu, kind of changing the way I'm lifting, changing the way I'm doing cardio, still doing meditation. I'm going to drop my psychologist that I talk to every week. Um, Still, you know, spending time with Kimmy and the kids, you know, figuring out work. Right. And so it's like a lot of it, a lot of what I'm also trying to figure out now is how to take what I've done over the last couple of years and figure out how to make it really sustainable. Mm -hmm. right? We're talking agile about sustainable pace. Yeah. Um, there was a period where what I was doing was sustainable because it was the only thing that I was doing. But now as the world lights up a little bit, you know, um, being crazy strict in diet and in working out three, three and a half hours a day, some days is that's a, that's a tough habit to sustain. So, you know, try to figure out like how to create a sustainable pace, get the diet in a way that's supporting longevity and long-term health and all those kinds of things. 
Like that's a lot of what actually has my attention. So there's, right? I think there's another yeah. dimension to it. So you talked about abundance and all these things that you can do now, maybe, maybe you kind of have to lean it out a little bit. Like how many of those things, like if you eliminate one thing, what happens? And, and how many of them can you realize like, this is nice, but it's not a hundred percent necessary. These are the four or five things I need. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, right? So, so I think I've decided, at least for the foreseeable future, um, like I've got a lot of value out of doing jujitsu. Like I, sh- like, like to me, like, like what's been really fascinating about jujitsu is going into a space where, like, the social hierarchy is all upside down. Like you're not good at it. You're just a beginner. Like you don't even understand the basic mental models. Like I'm better off now than I was a couple of years ago. But yeah. But that's been like a huge, huge developmental thing. Um, I think the lifting weight stuff is here to stay. I think the Peloton cardio stuff is here to stay. But I think a lot of the other stuff with personal trainers and psychologists and things like that, that's that, that's some of the stuff that I'm starting to unwind a little bit. Well, it got you what you needed at the moment and maybe yeah. you don't need it anymore. Yeah, the other thing that I'm, I'm toying with the idea of doing is um, – you know, and again, like, you know, getting back to normal a little bit will help with this, but I'm actually thinking about like periodic, like mini sabbaticals. Yeah. Like maybe taking like just a, like a week off every quarter and just going someplace quiet. Going kind of on like a retreat or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Retreat, like once a quarter, things like that. So, yeah. Right. So it's all about like, it's all about like longevity and sustainability. Right. So push, push, push hard to get here. And then it's like, okay, how do you continue to grow and thrive and, and, and do it well, right? Yeah. From here on out. This is awesome. Yeah. I mean, not, I hope, I hope if you listen to this podcast, especially if you're still listening, yeah. if this was inspirational for you or, or gave you some ideas about stuff you could use to experiment with, if you wouldn't mind putting something in the show notes or posting on iTunes or whatever, um, we would love to hear back about that. Cause this was an experiment and Mike, I'm grateful to you for doing it. I learned a ton and I, this was an awesome conversation. Very cool. Well, so not to put you on the spot, but like, like yeah. what, did you, what did you, what did you learn that you, that you didn't know coming into it? Was there any, was there anything that's particularly insightful? I think there's the stuff that you talked about that you're going through now, like this whole last hour, that was stuff yeah. I was not aware of at all. And, and yeah. thinking about the framing of that challenge is, is a really interesting thing to me because that is something that, you know, like everybody's got, stuff they're trying to figure out and at a certain point the air gets kind of thin because you're the only people that high up on the trail yeah. and like where do you look i mean it's it's easy to find advice for some stuff but other stuff it's like shit where do i you know because that that's not something that i had really thought through before and it was also really interesting to i think the coolest thing for me was hearing you talk about meditation because of all the stuff you talked about that's the thing that is the least goal oriented that yeah. we talked about today. And what I hear is part of the thing is how do you, how can you exist in a space where there's less goal orientedness? Yeah. Well, well, so it's, fa- it's fascinating. You said it's, a, it's probably an interesting connection and I'll probably noodle on for a little bit. Like, so somehow I've gotten my head around that an hour a day of non-goal oriented meditation is necessary. It's like a bath for your brain yeah. and your spirit. So, yeah. So, so the connection that I'm, I'm going to, again, I'm going to think about a little bit is, is can exercise be that way? Can it not be goal oriented, but just part of your, 
Yeah. It is. It is for me. That's what's so interesting to me about like, I don't run for, I run for mental health. Yeah. So I've, I've never, I've never exercised for just general health. Like, I go crazy so like, if I don't do it. <laughs> well, so, well, so it's fascinating, right? So I probably am too. I probably just don't recognize it as well. One of the things that's like a, an interesting head game, and, and I'm probably like opening up, like literally we have like a couple minutes and I got another meeting I got to get on to, but it's like, um, like one of the things that like I'm super aware of is when I went down this like health journey, it wasn't true, but I really separated diet and exercise. And I said, okay, you diet to lose weight and you exercise to like be fat. You're Mr. Systems thinking guy though. Well, well, I know that they work <laughs> together, but the problem was, is that when I, when I looked at them together, then I would, I would change my eating based on my exercise or my exercise based on my eating and, but that was driving bad behavior. Yeah. So while I intellectually understand the related, like psychologically, I had to separate them. So okay. you don't have to eat more because you exercise more. Right. Right. And, and if you, if you eat bad, that doesn't mean you have to kill yourself with exercise the next day. You just got to get back on track. Yeah. Right. And so I was playing some head games with myself that way. And one of the things that's really fa- interesting with like intermittent fasting and, um, and some of the diet stuff, I've been reading, again, a lot of books about longevity and about eating for longevity and stuff. And a lot of it comes down to intermittent fasting and periodic long fasts and certain things around calorie restriction, learning a lot about how our bodies were not designed for 24 seven digestion of food. Yeah. And, some of the, the havoc that that's wreaking on our, um, on our metabolisms. And so, and so one of the things that's been kind of fascinating with like this maintenance strategy of, of dieting, cause it's, I don't really have weight to lose right now. I just like, I just need to stay, do not gain weight need to stay healthy is that, is that being hungry isn't like an indicator that I need to eat. It's yeah. Like, it's an indicator that I'm <laughs> going to live longer because my body is us from digestion. Just sitting with, I mean, what I've done dieting where I track my calories, just, just being like present with being hungry and realizing it doesn't mean something's wrong. It just means yeah. you're hungry. Yeah. That's a weird, I mean, that's a cool thing yeah, to right? become aware of. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it frames it totally different. Like, so I woke up this morning and I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of hungry. Okay. Just noticed it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of hungry. Doesn't yeah. mean I have to immediately go down and eat. Right. So it's kind of fascinating. Right. So yeah, right. Learning how to, so I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to think about that a little bit. What does it look like to treat exercise and diet like meditation? Yeah. You know? So cool, man. This is great, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. So so next time we'll talk about like a real agile topic. Yeah. Well, I promised him we'd go back to the regular stuff we were doing. We still have four of the six things to talk about. So Ah, we have to go finish that next, but thanks, man. Okay.